This week on Kettle of Fish, it's our special 90th Super Happy Fun episode! Woo! Welcome to our after show. We call Kettle of Fish the No Politics Laughter Show. It's time for Kettle of Fish. No debates, hate, or arguments allowed on Kettle of Fish. It's like a Willy Wonka psychedelic acid trip. So hooray for Kettle of Fish. Alrighty, guys, welcome to Kettle of Fish, the show where we chat with actors, comedians, artists, scientists, musicians, magicians, models, and even astronauts about life, love, and the creative process. I am your seafaring podcasting captain of the internet airwaves, Nick the Saucy One Catsaurus, broadcasting to you as always from the very top of Meth Mountain, Tennessee. And I also want to introduce my neighborly producer, the trolley the train <laughs> to my land of make believe, D. Prizer. So this went pretty smooth, huh? <laughs> yes. You know how some days when everything just goes to crap. Those um, are you the mean days. Monday through Sunday. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm familiar with that. <laughs> those are the days. I'm glad I'm wearing both my rainbow shirt and some rainbow socks, because, and and you know it's really good that we watched. Um, Would you be my neighbor last night? Because I think we needed that extra bolster of happy to be able to deal with this today i feel a lot better indeed i'm channeling the good vibes of fred yes. rogers and speaking of rainbows let's get a girl in here who is our first guest today and my special co-host the sunshine and rainbows super creative stubbornly optimistic bearer of happiness and good news uncustomary mary england hey <laughs> happy to be here. I'm glad that this is working. Is it working? Who knows what's going to happen? I don't know what constitutes as working, but we're going to do it. All righty. And I'm glad, you know, this is the perfect episode, though, to have a hiccup in the beginning because we're talking about happy stuff. I've got to thank you for co-hosting and calling in today, Mary. And I wanted to give you a big happy belated talk like a pirate day because I loved your blog you recently put up. Thanks. And we did one with William Sanderson, too. He put I up a little... I that. that was so good. Oh, man. Unusual. Like, You're the best. Everybody's getting into pirating, and that's a good thing, I think, right? I pirates are never a downside, unless they're Somalian pirates. I mean, to be fair, I guess there's always, there's always an extreme. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, all right, well, let's do this. You've got, of course, Uncustomary. You've got a podcast on this very network, We, uh, which is at... We didn't even say tincan.media, where you can catch Kettle of Fish, Uncustomary, Musical Osmosis, all our shows. For the people who don't know you, tell us a little bit about Uncustomary, because you did just put a new episode up. I think last week we put one up for you. Yeah, and nice. yeah, tell us about your mission statement. Tell us about Uncustomary and where to find you online since you're going to be hanging with us all day. Absolutely. So Uncustomary is just, my tagline is where self-love meets creativity. So um, it was born out of me uh, having mental illness for two decades and actually finally getting real help and realizing that I had all this mental space that was now free up 
from not dealing with so many symptoms every day. And I used that space to start being creative. And I started a blog to kind of chronicle and document all of that creativity. And it kind of blossomed into this documentation of also my journey of self-love and body positivity. And now it's just completely exploded and transformed into this like celebration and help and coaching of other people and their mission and journeys too. And it's just, it's really great. I, I have a lot of fun with it. Um, the creativity aspect manifests in a lot of forms too with street art and snail mail and performance art and unusual holidays and just celebrating the everyday. So uh, yeah, you can find me um, uncustomary.org and uncustomary love on social media, Instagram, all that stuff. It's a very colorful situation I've got going on so <laughs> oh yeah no doubt about that so here's a kind of the running thread I'm going to do on this show today compared to let's say pre-Trump is it more of a struggle to try to get happy and positive out there because there is just a, a solid quarter of this country that just runs on just pure like toxicity all day every day and it's just so hard to overcome or is it actually easier now because so many people like myself are out there actually looking for good because we're so burned out on all the fucking social media hate and bullshit um so i think for me as a person it is harder still i think that as soon as uh, Trump started running for office, really, I became scared of the ways in which uh, toxic toxicity would translate into a micro format, you know, with people on a on an everyday level, how they're interacting with people, how that would transpire and it's unfortunately become a reality and that's what really gets me down is when people aren't treating other people with respect and equality so that does get me down as a human being that has empathy for other people and I do try extra hard to make sure that there are pieces of beauty happiness and kindness that are going on but I think that they're easier received in this climate because people that's what i was wondering speaking out that goodness like when i did the scarf abandonment project for the second year in a row the first year it was just kind of like this thing that i did with like six people and the next year like i had six thousand people in the facebook group and people were just like clinging on to anything that could possibly be good news you know and because they needed it so extra bad so what you're saying is the work has never been more difficult, but it's also never been more important. Right, exactly. You know, and I just saw, me and Dee just saw you at my selfie party last month at our dear friend April's house, yeah. and we were talking a little bit, and I was surprised. I mean, I guess I, sh I shouldn't be fucking surprised by anything at this point, but I was <laughs> surprised. You were like, you know, I'm putting so much positive and good out there. I actually have haters. And we watched a documentary last night, Won't You Be My Neighbor, about Fred Rogers and what a gentle and kind man he was. And then at his funeral, you had people protest and saying, Fred Rogers burn in hell. Yep. It seems like nothing pisses off somebody who's in that mind frame more than somebody living their lives and being happy. Pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a weird thing because you don't expect it. It seems kind of counterintuitive, but it is super real that people just don't like other people being happy, especially when they're very uncomfortable with whatever they're dealing with. Well, I had a 
I don't even want to say a beef. This dude that I used to know flipped out on me like four years ago because I didn't like one of his posts. And I know it was over political stuff. He was just looking for something to lash out at me at. And um, he went, we did that selfie party. Trudy shared a picture of us on her Facebook. And he started talking shit about me on Trudy's page, on my friend's page. And Trudy, this was the next day, she writes me and she was like, who is this dude? I don't even know him. And he's like blowing my page up talking about you. And I haven't had interaction with this dude for four years up until like two weeks ago when he found me on another page. But he's and like that space of anger towards you. <laughs> after four years, but yeah. she blocked him. And I told her the story that I just told here. And she said something very profound. I don't know if she made it up or heard it, but at, before somewhere else, but it was really profound. She said, listen, hurt people hurt people. Yeah. And I was like, ah, and a light bulb went off in my head. And it's like, yep, these people are just angry, hurt. They feel their lives haven't turned out the way that they deserved it to turn out. There's a certain sense of entitlement there, I think. And they just lash out at everybody. And then that makes their lives worse. And then it's a self-fulfilling doom prophecy because then they're even more of the victim. Then they lash out more. Then they have even more negative reaction. How can you get somebody out of that loop? Because I've come to the conclusion now, you can't. They're just going to have to self-destruct. I mean, I don't know that it's impossible. I think, I mean, I think the easiest, like, thing to think about is, like, bullying in, in children, you know? Like, that's such an easy example of what's happening when you have a child bully who's really, really having a tough situation at home when their parents are, like, terrible and they have a really shitty experience going on at home and then they lash out at other people at school. And it's wow. not, yeah. you know? that like that's really what's happening as adults uh but maybe the thing isn't really what's happening at home it's what's happening in their heads and so i think that the reality is you can't have anyone get better without their desire to get better so uh eventually yeah if somebody doesn't want to get better and that that isn't a desire of theirs they will i guess self-destruct and that is a really shitty thing but there are people that can be persuaded or influenced by certain things like the kind of people that we're going to have on this episode that create art and happiness. And I do think that it's possible to be persuaded to be like, oh, shaken up a little bit and be like, damn, I am really messing around and doing really stupid stuff. And maybe there's a little bit of me that can possibly change. And then it evolves a little bit from there. Maybe I think it's possible. Well, I'm going to leave names out of it, but this just shows you how far we've gone. A friend of mine the other day just put up a funny little meme. Um, and this, she had this conflict with somebody she's been real life friends with for like 20 years. She put up this meme and says, if you like Triscuits, like people who eat Triscuits just want to know what wicker furniture tastes like. And this dude comes on, he's like, I love Triscuits. I'm tired of your bullshit post. And people are like, dude, are you really getting pissed off about a snack cracker? It's a joke. <laughs> and it just got more and more aggressive until it finally ended. Like I, I've got the solution fuckers. And he blocked everybody on the thread and the friendships. <laughs> over triscuits now of course if you've got half a brain in your head you know it's it, it's not about triscuits i mean he's not at home right with a box of tristics like don't worry baby i won't let them hurt you anymore <laughs> like cuddle it at Crayle. i love you so obviously something else is going on Clearly. but it, like i feel like that's making his life worse i don't know if he's walking away thinking he's a tough guy like yeah people wouldn't talk like I don't know what's going on, and I spend so much of my time trying to unravel these dudes, and it's mostly like these just angry middle-aged white dudes that are just like pissed off at everything. Um, so I don't know what's going on in their head, 
But I, I, but I'm wasting a lot of time trying to unravel it, and I can't. I mean, honestly, a lot of times it just it boils down to like a complete lack of self-esteem or some kind of undealt with mental health issue. You know, one of my favorite things that has happened in like the past five years on the internet was when Sarah Silverman got this like troll on her page, yes, just, like doing all that crazy crazy hateful commenting and she just like instead of just like you know replying something terrible to him she just was like hey what's wrong man like what's going on with you and he just replied and just completely submitted and broke down and was like I have a lot of back pain I have a lot of depression and I'm sorry and and then she just like reached out and got him like help for like chiropractic work and a mental health work and it's like maybe if we actually asked the bullies and stuff what's going on we could help them i, I wish i had it together sorry um, i wish i had it together as much as sarah silverman because i no, saw that whole thing yeah. <laughs> and i don't know if i would have i mean i used to do that and i make this point all the time because of everything that's gone down in my life personally and in the country i am a worse human being than i was two years ago and i'm not a, you know and i'm willing to admit it i am actually a worse human being i'm more guarded um, if there's certain groups of people there that I know are going to be toxic, I avoid those situations because I just don't want to put myself in a situation that could just blow up. And I hate that it has to be that way, but I also have a lot more peace of mind now than I did. So it's like, do I go and uh, this is an ongoing conversation I've been having with people. Do I go and put myself in situations that could be potentially toxic and end up with me getting into a fist fight or a screaming match? Or do I just fucking opt out and stay home? And I've been finding myself, me, a guy who th used to thrive off people and being around people. I find myself becoming more and more isolated because I just don't want to deal with people like screaming libtard in my face. Yeah, it's fair. It's really fair. I honestly have found myself doing that too. Maybe not as extreme, but like it's absolutely a thought process that you have that you're worried that people are being so extreme that you're like, I don't want to have to deal with that and have myself become exhausted as a result of this potential nonsense. And it's is it you're like, is it really worth my mental health to deal with this? Right, exactly. And I mean, that's the question, right? Is yeah, it? So I is guess it worth it's really on a case-by-case -case basis. It's like, do I have the mental capacity or willingness to deal with this in a conscious, empathetic way that I could actually potentially help this person and go home exhausted and is that worth it to me versus do I not have the spoons for this right now and know that that's okay too? Well, D, last night, like I said, we watched that Fred Rogers documentary and there was a couple takeaways. One, that documentary is doing so well because I think people are hungry for that sort of thing. And I learned a lot about Fred Rogers and like his mission statement was just about to combat hate with love. But in the end, you've got assholes at his funeral. And I never understood protesting funerals. I don't understand it. They not want him to be buried. They didn't yeah, want him to throw right. the body on the, like, I don't understand what is this. I don't understand he's dead in your mind. If he's going to hell, like if you're part of like Westboro, the dude's going to hell. So you should be happy, right? Like, high five, he's going to hell, haha, ha, we win. Yeah, if he hated his life so much, wouldn't you be happy that he was dead? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so what are you pro- I don't- I, D, I don't even understand what these assholes are protesting. I don't know. I get- and- but so he said, or somebody said that, you know, there was somebody who was mad once because he was tolerant. And it was like, They really? said they were intolerant of his tolerance. Yeah. How crazy is that? I'm intolerant that you're tolerant. But I mean, yeah. think about that on a global level of what's actually happening in our country today. That is what's happening still. I mean, so many people are fighting for equality and tolerance and the other side is 
is angry, very, very angry that that's happening. And well, that- you know why? It's because for eight years on either a subliminal level to varying degrees, right? For eight years, these dudes were like, you know, Obama's going to take my gun. Obama's going to put us in a death camp. Obama's going to have Sharia law. And these cats, to varying degrees of either it was the soundtrack, like in the back of their head, like it probably won't happen, but what if, to all the way to I've got a panic room and a go pack and all that. Obama's coming to get us. So I think you had these cats for eight years that lived in all this anxiety and fear. And then when Trump won and the other side wasn't flipping out and like, oh my God, we're all going to die. And, you know, there was initial culture shock. But after that, they just said, hey, I'm going to go on with my life. I'm going to pay my bills. I'm going to go to work. They were kind of upset now that it's kind of like if you get out of a bitter marriage and the ex-wife is like just fuming because you're doing so well without her. I kind of feel like that's what was going on with these dudes that are so pissed at happy people or people just living productive lives. Maybe. Is that fair? Maybe, yeah. It could be. It's very well possible. That's what it seems like to me. All right, let's get our next guest in here. Our next guest is from Care 365 program. I actually met him in a parking lot. We made an immediate connection just by happenstance, and I knew I had to have him on the show. Coach Moore. How you doing today? Hey, I'm good, Nick. Uh, I'm better and good. I'm great. This is a fun, happy day, and I'm 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 glad and appreciative to be a part of it. Well, good, and that's why I wanted to have you on the episode. We were actually going to see a movie in Knoxville. It was actually in Turkey Creek, and this car drives by, super colorful, SpongeBob on it, bullhorn on the top, playing the um, happy theme music from that Chevy Chase movie, National Lapoon that's Vacation. <laughs> And right. I and I flagged you down. I was like, "Oh my god, I got to talk to this guy. We got to be in a movie in ten minutes." But I I felt compelled <laughs> to make time to go. What is going on with this guy driving around in this car? I have to know. <laughs> we sat and talked for God, fifteen twenty minutes. Um, I'm running into the theater afterwards to get our popcorn. We're with all the kids, and you told me your story, and I just thought it was so incredible. I had to have you on the show today. The work you're doing to me is amazing. Well, I appreciate that, and it was great meeting you, and I apologize for making you and your family late to the movie <laughs> that day, but uh, I do feel like uh, there was everything in my world is about care, so the care connection that we made that day was very special. Uh, it's similar to a care connection that I made with people out in the truck store and teaching and coaching during my life that are just precious to me so i'm the one that's blessed that had the opportunity to meet you and then now we are here on this happy fine episode together that's how things work and we've got d our producer in the background say hi mm-hmm. d hi d <laughs> and we've hi, got d. our co-host for today from uncustomary love mary mary say hello hey coach moore Hey, Mary, it's nice to meet you all over the phone, and maybe we'll be blessed one day to meet in person. Because I, would you're love that. I would love to see your so- car. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I hope it'd be nice to meet each other and not just the car, because oh. anybody that, anybody that's, anyone that's connected with Nick, uh, I, I, I want to meet. And I hope anybody connected with me, you all would want to meet. I, absolutely. absolutely true. I'm just very excited about the car. I can't lie to you. <laughs> well, well, that's good. That's supposed to be a happy, fun episode. So uh, that's what I plan on it being. 
Absolutely. Well, let me jump in right with this because you're out there. You've got Care 365. You're out there. Your mission statement is to put good in the world. And you've been out there since you've been a retired coach. First, tell us where you're a retired coach from. And follow-up question, have you learned more in your post-coaching you know, your post years about the human condition? Or did you learn more coaching teams and coaching high school kids than you've learned after the fact, after you've stopped coaching? Well, well, I'm going to try to keep my answers uh, pretty quick so you can ask okay. as many questions as you would like. But uh, to give you a synopsis and in a nutshell, um, everything that I learned about enjoying life and being good to people, I learned in my home. Uh, I had two parents that were wonderful mother and father married 62 years they they've moved on and and they're sharing eternal life together at this time so it started in the home and and at fourth grade when i was in fourth grade i had a lady teacher that was very instrumental in my life and and recognizing she knew i didn't have any academic abilities but she she realized I had some athleticism and athletic abilities, and she went beyond the call to pull me off the playground one day to point out that she could see my athleticism and that she would be disappointed if she didn't see me playing on TV in college one day. So teachers, coaches, mentors, leaders, anyone that has an opportunity or platform to reach kids or people in general, but I'm talking about from the teaching aspect, they, they, they're they in a position to make more of an impact than I think what some of them even realize. So at that point, I realized that I was going to be a teacher and a coach. That's what I was led to do, and she was instrumental in that, and I had a few others. I was blessed to have a few others along the way, middle school, high school, that um, reinforced and were very positive role models besides what I was getting at home in my house. Uh, so from that standpoint, I didn't ever have any questions about what I was going to do. It's just a matter of how I was going to get there because I was academically challenged. <laughs> right, right. Uh, uh, I was not an A student, and something I always try to get across from the teaching coaching world that I was in, and and some people may disagree, but I firmly believe, and, and I was a high school teacher for 35 years. I was a head football coach in high school for 22 that not everyone walking on this planet is an A student. Uh, you know, sometimes the very best you can do is a B or a C student. Well, from the world I come from, I'm all about positive reinforcement. I'm about encouraging people and letting them know when it's seen and you can feel as a teacher or coach or a parent that they're doing the best they can do, well, that's good enough. Everybody's not an A student. Everyone's not an all-American football player. But as long as you're doing your best, then, buddy, that needs to be reinforced, and that's what's going to win for you in the long run in the biggest game of all, the game of life. 
But you see parents almost getting into fistfights at, you know, junior high soccer matches now. Everything's so competitive. So I agree totally with your what you're saying. But how do you drive that message home to the parents who want their kids to be straight A students, already accepted to college by 10th grade on 12 different, you know, extracurricular right. activities? How do you get that across to parents? Well, I try to get it across to them by sight and example, and one way that I try to do it is uh, through my heart being led to do it this way, is if I have an opportunity to reach that parent or parents across the universe or the world that are really that example of what you're saying, I encourage them to jump in the truckster with me and go to Children's Hospital and visit the children there, or ride around in the truck with me when I have seven, eight, nine-year-old kids riding with me that have cancer, that have two weeks to live, or a month to live, or kids with leukemia, or children that are physically, mentally, or socially handicapped, to maybe open their eyes to see how blessed they are to have a child that's healthy, a child that's not causing any trouble, and not everyone is going to be an All-American in any athletic participation or program, whether it's soccer, basketball, football, ping pong, gymnastics, whatever. But as long as they're doing their best, you just reinforce that positive. But again, my way is to expose them and give them examples of how fortunate they are that their kids are even participating and a part of a team and learning a team concept. And losing and, and learning communication skills with their peers on the team, and it's a team effort, not an individual effort. And then also beyond that, 14 years ago, uh, I was led to start a program called Character Star Athlete. Now we recognize a student athlete in every high school in East Tennessee, and then there's schools across the nation that are doing this program, and I do want to say at this point, it's all free. There's nothing that we do that's about money. I don't want to talk about money. I don't want money to be an issue. When you're passionate about something and you want to make a difference, then by golly, that's where it should come from. It's from the heart, which is free. You love freely. You smile freely. You give freely. You don't wow. expect or you don't want anything in return. So with that said, I try to give them those examples. And then with this Character Star Athlete Program, I emphasize with head coaches that I work with everywhere, whether it's collegiate level, high school level, I want a representative from your team every week that exemplifies good character. Whether they play in the game or not is irrelevant because they may not get on the field on a Friday night or a Saturday afternoon at the collegiate level, but they're practicing hard every day. They're doing well in their community. They're representing their school well, representing their community, doing community service. They're going to win in the long run. They may not get on the field or court to play, but where I think we have missed the boat is that starting at six years old, seven, when these kids are young and start playing sports, we only give them trophies and awards, which I think that's too early anyway because it's a team concept. But anyway, that's another issue for another happy half hour together. But you have to recognize their character 
because when we haven't recognized their character, we've only given them trophies and awards based on how they play a sport. Then they grow up and they leave high school, and the only thing they've ever been rewarded for is their athletic ability. Well, the kid that's well, well, let every me interject day, real quick here before yeah. we get off track. What do you think about? Just getting a trophy for showing up. I know a lot of people say these kids are getting participation trophies that they haven't earned, and then they go into life and think they're going to be rewarded for just showing up, and that's not how the real world works. Is that not equally as misguided? It, it is equally as misguided. And, and to give across-the-board trophies to everyone, um, that's not how it works in the real world. So to a degree, we're misleading you know, these young people and that everybody gets a trophy for just being on the team. Don't don't start singling out kids. That should come later if it does come, you know, middle school or high school. You're, you're, that's going to happen. But at a young age, everybody's a winner. There should be no emphasis on the scoreboard, period. Uh, it should be on participation. Congratulate them all. Maybe have your little banquet at the pizza place. Have gotcha. them all up, give them a hug, thank them for being a part of it and persevering because you're learning the main traits of life. But you don't get a trophy for it, and you won't later in life, like you say, when you show up for work every day, you're doing just what you're supposed to do, what you signed up to do. Mm -hmm. well, so, so let me ask carried, you this. Yes, sir. Let me jump in and ask you this, and this is kind of running yes. the theme of the show. As no matter what side of the political fence you fall on, we all know that politics are becoming very toxic, very heated. Social media, I mean, I don't even post on my Facebook anymore except to promote shows. And I used to go on there to exchange ideas, and it just got so hateful, I quit. It, has it become harder to do this mission that you're out there doing, this work you're doing over the past three, four, five years? Or has it become easier because you're finding that people are just really hungry to put good back into the world? Uh, that's a very good point and a very good question, and my answer is very quick and from the depth of my heart. To me, it's become easier because good. the more obstacles and adversity that face you, the stronger it should make you in your mission and what you're doing to keep pushing harder. You know, if... if uh, whether it's the truckster, this character star athlete program, or recognizing students in schools based on that. Yes, there's a lot of apathy today in the world. The one decline that I saw in the last several years of my actual coaching career on the field was attitude. But with that said, and this isn't putting down mentors and teachers and parents across the board, because there are some wonderful parents and teachers Absolutely. and mentors. But we need to be across the board with that. I have three children that I'm more proud of them because they're good parents than regardless of what they do in their professional life or what kind of job they have or their job title. Mm -hmm. So uh, to me, it, it has gotten easier because it's only made the mission that much stronger in me. And it is attitude, though, right? We were watching the Mr. Rogers documentary last night, and um, one thing Fred Rogers said when he was young, one of the uh, values that his mom instilled in him is whenever there's a disaster, whenever something bad is happening, just look for the people who are helping. 
Focus on the people who are helping, and that'll keep your perspective straight. And I got to give Fred Rogers a lot of credit for that. Oh, exactly. I mean, that's a profound statement. Uh, You know, it's the same cliche that we've heard so many times, but some don't live. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. You know, you you develop your true character not by having a silver spoon in your mouth or when things are going well. You develop your true character through adversity and tough times. Then yes. you learn about character. That's how you grow as a person and gain more wisdom. And being and a coach is about building these kids' character as much it's about the sport itself, right? Camaraderie oh, and oh, unity, all that. That's it. I mean, you, you understand it, and, and, and I hope and pray before I leave this earth that more and more understand it as you do, especially at the middle school, high school level. Now, in college, uh, I was a quarterback in college. The pressure there to win is a little bit greater. You know, they fire coaches pretty quick now if they don't win. And and to a degree, I understand it, and to a degree, I don't. Because we are in the position to develop character and be role models and get them ready for manhood or womanhood uh, to perform in life because everybody's not going to go on and play collegiate football. So high school coaches are in a position in middle school, you know, the roots are are so deep and start so early that that's where you have to inject all the things that matter most in life. And it's not going to be football and sports for the rest of your life because everybody is an ex-player and an ex-coach at some point in their life. So what's going to carry you after that? That is so true. Uh, Mary, Coach said some very wise words about showing strength through adversity, and you're somebody who's had a lot of adversity in your life. What do you think separates a Mary England from, like, the Triscuit guy that's flipping out over everything we were talking about earlier? Something that I really liked that Coach was saying, um, well, something that I also read on his uh, profile, too, was this quote that I that I really stuck with me just was the phrase genuine caring. And I think that that goes back to like what you were talking about with like, look for the helpers. And then just generally like this idea of having like coaches and teachers that stick with you and that make a really strong impact. You know, I think that teachers and coaches can make or break a subject class or sport. And, uh, you know, it completely changes the experience for you. I have taken so many classes uh, with, uh, uh, up until my graduating college that I don't remember a damn thing from, but the yeah. ones that I do remember are from the ones that had impeccable teachers that gave a shit. And those are the ones that I remember. And I think that that is really, really what makes an excellent teacher, coach, or person that's going out into the community that's trying to make a difference of adding beauty and kindness or joy or whatever this, you know, however you're defining it, into the world. And that's what coach is doing, too. You know, we're, you're going out and you're trying to affect people, whether it's on a one-on-one basis or a, or a larger group, and you're actually giving a shit, this genuine caring, like however you want to put it, but it's coming from an intrinsic place that you care and you care really deeply about what's actually going to happen. To and that you person. can't fake that, right, coach? That's a very good, very good point. And I was just getting ready to say what you're asking me. There, people can fake certain things in life, but eventually, no matter what it is they're trying to fake, 
the, the circle of life is either going to be short or long, but it's going to catch up with you. And the so reality true. of who you are, your true colors are going to come through. Now, students, I will tell you this. They, they are a lot smarter and wiser than we think as parents because they're watching with their little eyes all the time. And they're listening with their ears all the time. And they're taking it all in. And you're not so just talking thing, about high school. Going all the way back to no, elementary no. school, they're watching. I, 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 that's, it starts when they're born, they're watching. You know, they can't talk yet, but they're watching. They're taking things in. You know, we're born with the right and wrong uh, system in our body. We, we know, conscious-wise, and in our heart, the difference in right and wrong. And, and I we believe all have that, choices. like the movie with Kevin Spacey, K-Pax, where he asked, well, if you don't have laws in your planet, how do people know the difference between right and wrong? And Kevin Spacey's like, every being in the universe inherently knows the difference between right and wrong. And I do exactly. believe that. Yeah, well, I do with all my heart. And I'll tell you one thing you cannot fake. You cannot fake care. You can try till the cows come home, but that's one thing you can pick up on real quick. If you care... You care deeply, and your students will know if you care about them individually, no matter if they're the valedictorian or they're the uh, the student that uh, the rest of their peers are outcasting or some of their teachers are outcasting. But what you better do is care for each kid unconditionally or each student unconditionally no matter what they bring to the table because we don't know their home life and that's our mission as a teacher or a parent or a mentor is to care about them unconditionally whether they dress like we want them to dress whether they act like we want them to act because they will know and really all they're screaming out for is for someone to care about them. They're not that is so out, insightful. Let me ask you this. It, during your experiences of working as a teacher, if you see a teacher who seems out of line and seems to relegate these students over here to a lost cause and don't pay attention to them and kind of uplift these students over here because they think they're more like in the kind of bucket that they're in there they relate to them better do you ever pull did you ever pull them aside and say hey um maybe you might want to try this approach or did you think that was in your place to try to educate your fellow educators i felt it was in my place because i was one of the team whether other administrators, teachers felt that or not, I would pull them aside and call them out and let them know if you want less discipline problems in your classroom, that child that comes to your room is acting up every day and you put them back in the corner, you know, shame on you. Because first of all, they have the right to the same education as the one that's sitting on the front row and quiet and looking at you like they're listening and they may not be listening anyway. So, Give them that attention, but give it to them in a positive, constructive way. And I'll tell you, I never had any discipline problems because they knew I went into teaching because I cared about kids. And it's not a pat on the back for me. And there are other teachers that do. But there again, kids, I'll just put it this way. Students or kids, they don't care how much a teacher knows. And their subject matter, English, math, PE, whatever, they don't care how much a teacher knows until they know how much a teacher cares. It's really true. Once they know that teacher cares about them and can remember their name and greet them at the door, the classroom door, and they come in every day and say hi with their name because they know them and make it personable, 
they're, they're, they're not going to care for that teacher, but once you have that correlation, I said everything in my world is care, it would be correlation to everybody else. Once you have that, or that connection, buddy, you're not going to have different problems, and those kids are going to listen, and you're going to see their grades jump up, whether they're a C student, B student, or A student, because they're eager and anxious and looking forward to getting to that class that they know that teacher or coach cares about them. And ultimately, this genuine care creates respect. I mean, well, I think... and that, yes. I think exactly. it does. I mean, in that environment specifically, anyway, I, I, I can, I mean, just speaking as a student, like, when I noticed teachers that cared that deeply, I... They're, they're, you're right, there weren't discipline problems in the classroom because I think as a group we were just like, we're not going to do something that makes this teacher's life harder because they are trying so hard to make this a great experience for us, so why would we you know, do anything to, to make that worse? Very, very good point. Is that Mary? Yeah. Very good point, Mary. Um, but because until, until we treat every child like they're our own, and again, back to it doesn't matter where they come from, if they live in a cardboard box or they live in a mansion on top of the hill or their parents or the mayor of the town or on city council or on the school board, it's irrelevant. It has nothing to do with that child. Until you have the backbone and the strength to stand up to do what you're supposed to do and answer for yourself to know you did everything you could for every kid every day you shouldn't be able to sleep at night. And I was blessed where I was able to sleep at night. And then the part about respect, that's what it's all about. I, I didn't care if, if students or players liked me. It was my position to earn their respect. And the same as my three children raising them. Yeah, love should be a given within a family, and it should be with students. You should love them or you shouldn't be teaching them. But my point is, is earning that respect. Now, once you've earned their respect, it goes both ways. Then as a teacher, you earn that respect of that student, then you have a beautiful learning environment that's based on the most important aspect in life of, of respect. Because it's easy to like something. I like my truckster. I like my uh, dog. Yeah. You know, but when my dog reaches that point and the light goes off, oh, I've got to go outside and go to the bathroom which takes perseverance and time, the same with a child. Uh, you have to be consistent uh, in your approach with children, and you're not there to be their friend or their buddy. And that's what Well, let me jump in here, Coach, because we've only got a few minutes left. i got to get to CARE yeah. 365. Did yes, you start sir. this mission, this work, while you were a coach, or did you retire and go, I'm not done yet. There is more good I can put in this world, and then you started this mission. No, I started this mission after the Columbine incident in 1999. I was still oh, wow. teaching. I was, I was still coaching, and it weighed on me so deep that the things I, were, I was hearing around the nation and society, we need to do this, we need to do that. Well, yeah, granted, we need to have probably metal detectors. We need to have more cameras in the school. We need to have security guards. We need to have all that. But the bottom line is I said then, and that it was due to bullying. And daggum, they didn't finally come out that that's what it was about. Well, how do you counter bullying? As a teacher, you're not blind. You don't walk around with your eyes closed. 
you call out the bullying and you get them But doesn't involved. that start at home? Because I personally know people who oh. bullying is good for kids. It establishes a pecking order. And they, they, they actually kind of subliminally encourage their kids to be bullies. Well, it does. Everything starts in the home. It starts and finishes in the home. But I'm, I'm not an advocate for it. I'm an advocate for we, the program we started and, and people can go on the website and see. Uh, it was part of the CARE 365 program, but I was so moved after the Columbine incident, and it hurt me so much and bothered me so much that I kept waiting for somebody else to start a program with somebody else, and then got so strong, I got tired of not sleeping because I couldn't sleep. So finally, the day came, and it was my daughter. I was working on this program for three months, and uh, behind the scenes, and really kind of wishing somebody else, maybe with a doctorate degree or uh, somebody so-called smarter than me, to come up with a program in schools that can have an effect. But that didn't happen. And then one morning, my daughter was like five or six at the time in kindergarten, so she's probably five. She woke up about four in the morning out of the blue and was crying and very upset. And I went in her room to comfort her. And I hugged her as a parent should and consoled her. And I said, oh, baby, did you have a nightmare? You know, and she just kept crying. And I finally, I said, I just hugged her and consoled her. And I said, you know how much your daddy loves you. And she opened her eyes up like silver dollars. And she looked at me and she said, I know how much you care about me. And that that was that was the final straw. I went in that morning told the school that I was going to the superintendent's office. I went to the superintendent's office. When when it got to the point to where my daughter, she didn't know I at five years old, I was working on this care program for three months, round the clock, for schools all over the country. But she answers me when I ask her, do you know how much I love you? And she comes back with, I know how much you care. And the whole premise of the program I've been working on for three months was, Care, Care 365, we need to care every day, not just Christmas, Valentine's, birthdays, anniversaries. We need to care about each other unconditionally every day. So my daughter pushed me over the edge, and we started in our school. The next thing was in another school, another school, then the Associated Press did a nationwide story on it, and it went in schools all over the country, and I'm still on that tour. That is so, so impressive. The work you're doing is so important. Coach, um, Dee is telling me we've got to get you out of here. I cannot thank you enough for calling in today. It's been such a pleasure. You know, we we don't compliment each other enough in life. The first thing we do, whether it's at a restaurant or with people, we're so eager to put people down and get into drama and negativity. I personally want to say I appreciate y'all are making a difference. I've seen, I did my homework. I know people you all have had on. I know what you're about. I know what you're doing is maybe you did your homework on me. It works both ways. I appreciate from the bottom of my heart what y'all are doing and having people on and being in association with people, not me. I'm I'm trying to do a little bit. Uh, And the last thing I'll say, a big impact in my life was John Kennedy when he was president and I was sitting on the floor at eight years old in front of a black and white TV with no remote, uh, us six kids with remote control, when we got told to change the channel for our parents, we did. But anyway, John Kennedy saying, it's not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Mm-hmm. I mean, a light went off and light went off of me. 
So if it's in Knoxville or East Tennessee or Tennessee or the world, it's not what Knoxville can do for me. What can I do for Knoxville? What can I do for the world? And my cup is, it's not half full or half empty. My cup's full and, and overflowing. So it's about what each one of us can do. If it's just being nice to your neighbor like it was and we probably all grew up and you know they're sick, take them over a bowl of soup and some crackers. Show you care. Don't tell them. Show it. I cannot agree more. Coach, thank you so much for calling in. On your way out the door, please tell everybody where we can find you online and how they can help. Tell everybody how out there who wants to help how they can help. Well, I, what I tell people, if they are moved and their heart is moved, anybody's listening to this around the country, if you're in a motel room and, and, and you are down and out, uh, first of all, if you reach over in the door beside the bed, there's usually a Bible. I suggest you open it and, and see what scripture it leads you to open it to personally, uh, and, and I'm not in church every time the door is open, but I am a believer, I have to say that. But my point is, I've always left it up, as I was moved for three months and my daughter pushed me over the edge, people that are moved and maybe hear or feel, I hope they feel the deadness of, of this and what I was led to do, you call and, and, and be a part of it. We call a care team. And this, this care team that started out with me and, and my children and God's guidance is, is unbelievable now. The people that want to help, want to get involved, but also make them understand ain't nobody ever going to get a penny for this. This is a mission. you got to be passionate. you got to be real because don't look for money as a reward. Look for maybe changing a life or brightening a life or bringing a smile to somebody's life at that truckster. That's your money maker. That's your reward. Meeting you at Turkey Creek and making you late for the movie is a reward for me because we've made a care connection that I know this isn't the last time. Care connection. Awesome. The three three of us, I know it's not the last time the three of us are going to talk or visit, and that's a beautiful thing because otherwise I would have never met you all. I could not agree more, sir. I cannot compliment you enough for the work you're doing. It's so important. Thank you so much for calling in today. But more importantly, thank you so much for what you do. Thanks, Kurt. Well, I appreciate it. I'm led to do it. Let me give you uh, an email for people around the world. They can email. It's caremunity, C-A-R-E-M-U-N-I-T-Y, caremunity at yahoo.com. Very nice. All righty, sir. We've got to move on to our next guest. Thank you very much for calling in. God bless y'all. Hope to talk to you again for long. Absolutely. Our next guest comes from MoreGood.Today. She is on a mission to visit 50 states and find good stories. We've had her on before. I'm so excited six months later to do this update. Mary Latham, are you with us? I am. Hi. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for calling in today. I know you're on a little bit of a break, so I was so happy we were able to catch you during, I don't want to say downtime, because I'm sure you're (laughs) editing stories and going through a million things. But we're so glad that you could make time for us today. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's been really nice to stay still for a minute. <laughs> I bet. Because, I mean, you're somebody. I mean, I, I see all the time things come across my thread. You're all over the place. You're doing things. Let me kind of start off with this. Because you do so much amazing work. But I was actually most amazed that after 27,000 miles, your mom's old Subaru, which you affectionately called Old Blue, is still going strong. I can't believe the Subaru is still making it. Truck it. I don't think our car can make it across the country that much. 
Yeah, no, she's doing really good. She's uh, parked and hibernating for a minute in North Dakota right now, so I have to get back to her before it's, you know, a lot of snow and skedaddle. But uh, she's, I haven't had a problem, knock on wood, um, with her at all. And I had um, that really great experience, which I can't remember. I think it was after um, I had spoken with you guys where a man helped me out with my car, um, where I had spoken to a Rotary Club in Pleasanton, California, about what I was doing and the project. And afterwards, he came over and said, you know, when was the last time you had the car really looked at? Because I had been pretty good at changing the oil and checking the tire pressure. And I said, you know, it's, it's doing pretty good. And he said, well, I own a transportation company, and I have my top mechanic in tomorrow. And, you know, he can just look it over for us. And I said, okay, great, thank you. And so I dropped my car off at 8 a.m., and the woman who was hosting me at the time, who I had just met, gave me the keys to her car so I could collect some stories. And I ended up picking my car up at 5 o'clock, and it was, I got into the parking lot. It was shining. They had washed and waxed it on top of fixing the transmission, changing my oil, putting new brakes, new wheel rotors, new windshield wipers on the front and back, um, just like probably two, $3,000 worth of work wow. to the car. Um, and he said, you know, I know what you're doing and I believe in it. And I just wanted to, to help and be a part of it. And I is off. that the story you replay in your mind every time you've been on the road for three weeks straight, you're tired, you just want to lay down, you just want to give up. Maybe you've hit an obstacle or a struggle. Is that what you replay in your mind to give you strength and keep you passionate about this project? <laughs> things like that? Yeah, definitely stuff like that. Um, there's definitely a lot of, I mean, whether it was something such a big gesture or, you know, a young girl at a coffee shop that understood what I was doing and got really excited about it and was like, this coffee's on me because for her, $5 is a lot right now and she's working really hard and trying to put herself through college. But, you know, like everyone contributes in their own little ways and it's just really cool and people are so supportive because for them, it's, I mean, for me, it's everything. And for them, it's just like, they just want to be part of it. They want to, you know, that's their, that's how they can contribute because maybe they can't take 5,000 years off of their life to drive around the country, which is what I but feel it, like I've been doing for so long now. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, let me, I, let me introduce you real quick, Mary, because you've oh, met yeah. our co-host today. I've got Mary England from Uncustomary co-hosting this with me. And of course, Dee is back there producing. Um, wow. Mary, you and Mary actually kind of, I introduced you guys and you chatted a little bit before the show, right? Yeah, on Instagram. Yeah. So I'm sorry, Mary. I just wanted to kind of um, set a little context here before. No, jump. no worries. I was just going to say that I I love that uh, kindness breeds kindness, and that you're you're going out and doing this elaborate project, and you're inspiring others along the way, and that they're inspired to do something else that's really kind. And whether it is a five dollar cup of coffee or three thousand dollars worth of car work, like you're just you're you're not just collecting stories or creating new ones. Oh yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's a really cool, it's, I mean, it's like the cheesy line, the ripple effect or, you know, the pay it forward with yeah. kindness thing, but those have been some of the most meaningful moments for me. And I don't remember if I spoke about it last time, but um, a man that had been following my project in Rhode Island uh, that I never even met, he continued to follow it. And when I posted about, Another story I had done where a child had had cancer and now he had beat it and he did a whole toy drive for all the kids that were still stuck in the hospital. This man saw that and he ended up 
putting like him and his coworkers all went to Toys R Us. They got like a hundred and something toys and he hand delivered them to the hospital. He lived in Rhode Island. So he drove two and a half hours to Massachusetts and Western Mass where these people were and he brought them into the hospital. Um, and it was just such a cool thing. Like he ended up connecting with those people and, and all, and I didn't even know him. And I didn't even know, like, if I hadn't heard that he had done this and the family had reached out to me and said that he'd done, I don't know if I ever would have known. So it's kind of that cool thing where you never realize the impact that you're doing or making, and you just have to believe it's out there. And that's something that's really hard today because everything is so social media based that you don't think you're making an impact if you're not getting 5,000 likes or something. Right. So you have to really remember and like sit back and believe that just because you're not getting that like gratification of knowing or someone telling you that you it's are making all these differences and yeah, everything you're doing is making an impact. There's, Smiling at someone at the grocery store. <laughs> I don't know why, but for I don't know if this is true for you, but like there's something like extra special about like having people join in in the process of it. Like, I mean, you know, so like you are going around and you're like looking for things that have uh, you know, you're collecting stories of people that have done acts of kindness. And it's like so amazing that they're already doing this on their own, right? Like that you're, that they're just, they're intrinsically inspired to create kindness in the world on their own. And then it's been documented in a way that you can share. But like, I mean, for you to be already doing this mission and then for people to kind of jump on board as a result of it just probably feels like extra inspiring. Like I was just thinking about the, I do this bubble parade every year and it's just very, it's very silly. And it's, we literally just walk up and then down the street in like crazy colorful outfits and blow bubbles. And it's like, it's really cool that like hundreds of people come out to do that, but there's something extra gratifying about like people coming off the street to like join in the parade when they had no idea that it was happening that day. And I don't know if that's like true for you or not, but. Oh my gosh. No, that's not silly at all. That's amazing because it's something so random and something so simple, like bubbles make me think of childhood. So like just already makes me happy. And <laughs> just the fact that you're blowing hundreds of bubbles, like it's beautiful. And like people want to be part of something beautiful, whether like it feels funny that it's bubbles, but that's like bubbles everywhere. Sounds really beautiful. <laughs> I want to come. It is actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, when do you do it? Oh, it's um. So it's usually like in the end of May or the beginning of June every year. Okay, because I was just trying to. And this is the running theme of the show, right? And this is what I'm trying to get to the crux of. We had you on six months ago. And I feel like the country was in a very, very dark place at the time. Um, I mean, it still is to a point, but social media was exploding with a lot of hate and toxicity. The political environment, the political landscape was just horrid. Do you feel like Mary, Mary Latham, more good Mary, in the last <laughs> six months that things have calmed down and that or, that are people are just more receptive and people are looking more for the good? Or are you so above the fray of politics that you don't even really notice these political shifts? Um, well, I wouldn't say, I guess I have to be above them in a, in a way for what I'm doing, but it doesn't mean that I'm not educated in knowing that things are still pretty rough. And I feel like every day as much good as out there, like, you know, you hear another story of, um, I just spoke with a, with a friend who, um, went to this big event to help uh, people from North Korea try to escape. And this horrific, horrible story of a mom and her child and they were trying to escape and then they got, but you know, there's always, and, and that was something I know with North Korea that there's a lot of problems going on, but you don't know like 
to the extent of something like that, which I wouldn't have known if this friend hadn't attended an event and gave me a, you know, two hour talk on what she heard and what she learned and what she went through. And now, you know, and then it makes you really sad. And now you're aware of that. And it's just kind of one of those things where whether it's social media is make, putting it more in our face or we're realizing, or obviously with our current presidency, just, you know, people are really talking a lot online. Um, even if that wasn't happening, I think there's always going to be a lot of stuff going on too. And I try to stay off of it. I just go on there and I post my thing and then I get off. That's what <laughs> I've been doing lately too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you can do at this point. But in the last <laughs> six months, have you felt the national calm? Like are people, cause I feel like people are getting calmer or exhausted. They're like, two, I, I used to have, have, have an ex-girlfriend. I used to have an ex-girlfriend that like, took the cats when they fought and she like threw them in a closet to get them out of her system. And I feel like the nation has gone at it so hard. People are like, I just want calm. I just want peace. I'm done yeah. with all this drama. A lot of people are checking out, but are more people reaching out to you now than six months ago? Because people just want to counterbalance this with good. Um, I think that it's been pretty steady, honestly. And I feel like it, it was so like, I guess, in a way, I feel like it's gotten calmer, but then there's also this whole Me Too movement that's going on that has been getting louder, maybe. I don't know. I mean, maybe it was loud and now it's quieting a little bit, but I just feel like there's this underlying issue with, with everything that was going on where I just feel like people don't feel like they're being heard. Yes, and great point. I don't think that posting and ranting on social media is necessarily the best way to get heard. Some people, if they want to do that, that's fine. By no, I learned that the hard way. That's not the best. Yeah, place. yeah, but people are just very. Um, the compassion is something that I think is something we have to work on, no matter what. But whether it was six months ago or now, I think that's still a really large issue that we all face. Just because, it, I don't know. I think that it's lacking. Well, let me I'm ask not- you this because this is i i didn't ask you this last time i can't believe i didn't ask you this as you're going you've been to 30 states now like i said earlier twenty-seven thousand miles are the problems are the stories do they differ from region does this region have more medical related stories does this region have more i don't know violence related or financial related are you seeing a difference in the struggles by south west coast east coast or are all these stories pretty consistent as you go around and collect them Um, yeah, I, well, so I was in Montana recently Okay. and I felt like I had a very different experience there. Um, when I had first gotten in and I reached out to their local paper, the governor of Montana, um, Steve Bullock sent me a personal email and thanked me for coming and said he wished he could visit me, but he had just left town for business and he was really um, inspired by what I was doing. He told the flight attendants on his flight that morning because he had read oh. the article. And then he donated $50 to my gas tank. That's adorable. And that wow. was something that was really cool to me. And that's not <laughs> not getting any emails from Governor Cuomo over here in New York. <laughs> and then that's <laughs> fine. But, you know, New York is highly populated. There's a million things going on. But there was something really beautiful to me about Montana in that, you know, I felt like being from New York, like when I was driving around there, I was like, I can breathe. Like there's not 4 billion people everywhere. And that is a large um, thing I've noticed when you get to these community communities that are smaller and really feel like communities, I'm more apt to be able to reach that local paper. I reach more people. When you go into the cities, it's like this closed off feeling where people, they don't make eye contact as much and not every city, but it's, it's definitely a lot harder to make connections and 
reach people in the cities versus these small town communities. And that is a great that, point. Yeah. And it, and it's definitely, and I've noticed just from, I was speaking with my sister and she pointed that out to me first. Um, she said, you know, I've noticed every time I talk to you when you're in cities first, when you're in small towns, like you just sound better in small towns. Like you sound like you're making better connections or stronger connections um, in these types of communities where it's not, you know, a million people running around and it's, it's just hard to make time and everyone's busy and no one has time. Like no matter what, I feel like that's everyone's excuse, but like people just learn how to make time better sometimes in those areas because you're not so like, it's full, like you're just distracted by a million things going on. Um, when you live in a city and when you live in these smaller communities in Montana in general, I mean, the state, it's like a very low population. And I just feel like it was just such a different, um, vibe there. And but the they, actual yeah. stories, are they different? In other words, when you're in a city, are they like, we're doing this because my brother was shot by a cop, as opposed to where you're out in the country and they're like, my brother died of opioid addiction. Are the stories different or is everybody going through the same struggle regardless of city, um, urban area or south or north, you know, New England? No, there's definitely, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a little bit of a difference. Um, I haven't experienced as much of like that kind of like the cop stuff and everything. And I think maybe that would be, so I didn't do like Maryland yet. And when I was on the East coast, I hopped over a couple states and I remember people had reached out with stories. There was definitely a story in Baltimore where they were working because it, um, it was after a lot of those riots where they were working with kids and cops and uh, cops and, and black children because they wanted to like not have that feeling where they were where the kids were scared of the cops and because of everything that was going on. Um, but I haven't really had like a, a massive amount of stories um, like that. I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say is I can't take off the top of my head of feeling like, Oh, there was more of this story in that. I mean, when I was in new Orleans, I was definitely getting a lot of stories related to the natural disasters, I guess is something that comes to mind first. Like a lot of the stories I got from California were fires related stories. A lot of the stories in new Orleans was, I can imagine yeah. or flooding stories. I think I've been much more educated and aware of the natural disasters going around the country that I didn't realize. Cause when would I be affected by a tornado living in New York? But when I was driving through Oklahoma and like actually had to check the weather and make sure there wasn't a tornado that uh-huh. day and get a lot of stories about that kind of thing. Um, it made me much more aware of that. I, what I haven't been, um, I feel like that is a bigger thing for me that I've realized. Um, but is it fair to that, say that you've learned that we have a lot more in common than most people give oh, us credit definitely. for? Oh, I definitely think so. Um, but when I when I was in um, Montana, one interesting thing that I've realized with the stories is that um, I actually met the mayor of Helena, who is a Siberian, uh, I mean, a Liberian refugee. And he was elected the mayor of Helena, Montana, which like everyone made a big thing about. Of course, SNL had to make a big like, oh, my gosh, did they know you're black and they voted for you because it's Montana? Like, you know, it was like this whole thing about race and make it like a big joke and everything instead of just, no, yeah, these people liked this guy and they voted him in. But anyway, I met with him and he was really awesome. And we sat down for coffee. And again, like I said, just the fact that like he's a really busy person and he made time to do something like that because they're in an area where it's more of a Are you reaching out feeling. to these mayors and governors or are they reaching out to you because they just I heard your like mission? That. I'm not usually, yeah, so I'm not usually like in a political, like I don't, I don't usually reach out 
um, to them, but because when I got that makes it even more amazing. Yeah. And well, the governor definitely reached out to me, but with the mayor, um, when I got to Helena, it was such a community feeling and everyone I would talk to, like their stories would connect to the other person down the street that owned a business or this or that, or how everyone came together and helped them. And so one of the women I talked to there, um, told me about the marriage. She's like, everyone loved our mayor and he's really cool. And you just see him around all the time and all this stuff. And, um, she sent him a message on Facebook and connected us. And then he sent me a text and said, yeah, let me know when, um, when you can meet for a coffee. And so I ended up meeting up with him and he had a whole story about when he had first gotten here, um, you know, a couple of years ago, but, um, his wife had already come over. She was an exchange student. And so they had been kind of back and forth over the years, but when he got here, um, he bought his house and, the next morning when he went out and he looked at the garage, there was a big sign that said, um, KKK, go back to Africa. Oh my God. And, and so he was, um, he went down to the police station cause he was not, like, he didn't know how serious the threat was and to just report it. And so when he was down at the police station, someone else had seen it, um, in the neighborhood. And then a bunch of people had come over. And by the time he got back from reporting it, it was pretty much gone. They had, all the community had come over and um, scrubbed it off and gotten rid of it. And so it's kind of those things where it's, I think Mr. Rogers said like, it's, it's always going to be an ongoing battle with evil. Like there's always going to be negative stuff out there, but it's like looking at all those people that come together to fix it and how there's always going to be literally more good (laughs) that's out there. And, you know, we're going to be put to those, Struggles and battles. We just quoted uh, Mr. Rogers because we watched a documentary last night where he was like, my mom taught me at a young age, whenever there's a adversity or a disaster, just first thing you do is look for the people that are helping. And that really gives yeah. you perspective. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I know that documentary is really good. It, of course, it wasn't until the end that it really gets you. And then you have to leave the movie theater crying. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. but, I was fine until was... the last few seconds. And then I was I... like... <laughs> Yeah, she he knew. was beaming was through the whole minutes. movie. Yeah. Um, we actually went to, what was it, the Heinz History Museum when we were in yes. Pittsburgh doing some filming, and they had the whole Mr. Rogers display there, mm-hmm. the castle and all the puppets, and Dee was Not dancing around like a Yes. Well, no, for the puppets, you were bouncing off the walls. Well, okay, so they have the entryway, and they have a mannequin set up with the sh- the sneakers and one of his sweaters on, and then they have another sweater on display, and they've got the And tree. they played the first and last episode, back-to-back. Back. Yeah, and then they've got oh. the tree, and they've got King Friday in his castle, and then they've got, like... Grandpere Tiger and a couple of the other, char- you know, smaller characters, not main, main characters. But it was just so... It, it was it was like being home. It was like instantly I had yeah. all those great feelings. Like I remember this when I was a kid. I remember feeling just happy and content and all of that great stuff whenever I watched. And you know, my yeah. childhood was a little difficult anyway. So it was, and I didn't even realize it until we were watching the the movie last night. I was like, my gosh. Like Mr. Like when they're like, think of somebody who really impacted you and who you really felt cared about you. I was like, that was Mr. Rogers. Like, and I think yeah. Mary made a great awesome. point earlier talking about how 
eat like you do these things and you don't even realize the impact you have. Mary, I'm sure there's people who look at your site all the time, but they just don't feel comfortable reaching out or they don't know how. And you are doing a positive effect on just thousands, tens of thousands of people reading your site that you may never even interact with. How do you even process all the good that you're doing, or do you can can you not allow yourself to think about how much of an impact you're having? Is it just about the work? No, I think that the most important thing you can possibly do, like, is tell those people, because I think so many people are out there and they don't realize. And like for me, I think that a lot of people think I'm just so busy all the time and I'm inundated with all this stuff. Um, I think a lot of people think that you know I'm doing four million things all the time, which you kind of are, but at the same time, there will be nine hours where I'm driving through Montana, North Dakota to get to my next stop. And when people do say something, it means so much. Like it just keeps you going and you, and you don't know. And people do say, Oh, you're making it, you know, you're doing this and that's so great and everything. And it's not that you need to be patted on the back, but when you can hear that you help someone, it's just, it's so huge because there will be days that you go through where you're just trying to reach out and you don't hear back or you're trying to figure something out and it falls through. I mean, so many things are constantly going wrong. Oh, yeah. I think Especially like, on the road. people are worried that like people that appear to be busy are inundated with e- emails that are like including praise. And like, I hear a lot of people say like, I didn't want to reach out because I didn't want to bother you and tell you how good of a job you were doing. And it's like, I, I remember this quote from the show girl that's like, Hey, no one's ever getting enough of those emails. Like you can never yeah. overwhelm people with, with good stuff like that. Even if they can't get to it or they can't reply to it, that doesn't mean that it's not appreciative appreciated. And I also, I, I also wanted to say that like, I really thought it was interesting. Like the, the idea of like the cities versus the small towns um, and how people were able to make more time for, for you doing these stories and making time for you. Um, And just the fact that like, I guess kindness in general requires you to slow down, right? Like you, it's a conscious effort to slow down. Like when those people scrubbed off that hateful message off of his, uh, the side of his house, like that means that they weren't doing errands or doing whatever else they had planned for that afternoon. Or like when you're leaving a, a nice note for a waiter at the end of your meal, that means you're not rushing out like in a hurry, right? So like you're just taking that extra 20 seconds, even if that's how short it takes to make an effort, but it does take that conscious effort to slow down. So maybe like that should be some kind of message that we're instilling that it's okay to slow down for just a couple seconds if it's creating. I would say imperative to slow down sometimes. Oh, absolutely. I think it, like you said, kindness requires community, it requires connection. I mean, when you're in a community where you go to the store to buy your sandwich every day and you see, you know, Mr. Johnson, the plumber, and you always say hello, and then a couple weeks later you find out Mr. Johnson has pancreatic cancer, then you're more apt to go and talk to him. Or what can I do? Or you talk to his kids. Is there anything I can do to help? You know, when you're in the city and you're seeing people all the time and you're not even making eye contact and you're not touching anyone on the subway because, you know, God forbid, whatever disease they have right now. And, you know, you're, you're doing all these things. You're further disconnecting yourself. And that's kind of what social media does too. It's this huge thing that is supposed to be connecting us more. And so much of the time you walk around and you see a bunch of people and they're all together and they're all on their phones. 
you're with your friends. But it dehumanizes people, I feel like, because I've talked to people who, when I used to be very politically active, and of course, I'm very left-leaning, and I'm involved, I used to be involved in all these social causes, and they would delete me or unfriend me or block me. And then I would talk to them later on on the phone years later, and they'd be like, wow, you're not as this as I thought you were. You're not as that as I thought you were. But that cold, hard, just words on a screen, you can't make a human connection that way. I mean, you have to write something very profound to make a human connection that way. But just putting up a little post saying, you know, I think this person's screwing up doing this or I don't believe in this. I, I just feel like. Like you said earlier, and it's so true, and I had to learn this the hard way, social media is not the place to be trying to exchange these kinds of ideas. Right. Yeah. And, and you don't think about all that time you're wasting your energy on spewing out more negativity, which is only going to further more negativity. You're just putting it out there, and then more people are going to be angry. I mean, even like such a But it doesn't even like have I- to be neg- negativity. You could just be like, hey, I think like gay like gay marriage is fine. Gay people should have, you know, the right to marry. And then that'll provoke a bunch of hate. And I used to always ask Dee when we were doing the political show, I feel like I'm just putting out more hate, even though that's not my intent. I, I feel like I'm like I'll have people who never met and they'll meet each other on my thread and they'll hate each other. And I'm like, if it wasn't for me, those dudes wouldn't even know who each other were. And that's kind of why I walked away from it because I felt like even though I was trying to do something positive, I just felt like the forum, the platform just led to a lot of negativity and I had to opt out of it. Well, unfortunately, politics and positivity are just two words that can never be mixed because no one can talk politics anymore without it somehow getting twisted. So I can't even imagine putting any politics out there on Facebook. Anytime my friends do, I feel like they get upset or someone comments or like you said, But I am even talking very basic, simple things like, you know, Susie's driving down the road to work and someone cuts her off and she kind of swerves off the road a little bit. Well, she's not going to just let that go by. She has to go on Facebook and she has to post every driver's and, you know, and a-hole and this and that. And I can't believe this is going on. This almost killed me. And then Susie's friend who knows Susie's wonderful is like, I can't believe they would do that. Meanwhile, this entire time, the person that went around there is because she was fiddling on her phone, driving a little too slow, and he had to get his wife to the hospital because she was in labor. Like, you don't know what's right. going on in that other person's life. So what we used to do was think, why did they do that? I wonder, and, you know, make a story in your head. Instead, we jumped to immediately thinking the person is a bad person, and why would they do that? And let's rant about it, and then everyone else will get angry too, and then think about things that made them mad on the road and talk about that. And it's just making this spiral ball of negativity right. instead of just wondering, huh, I, I just saw a guy and yeah. friendships and start a big fight and block everybody over a meme about Triscuits. And, and that's <laughs> when I realized Facebook is not the place to make human connections. You know, <laughs> negativity is reminding me, I meant to ask you something earlier, Mary, um, when we were talking about like seeing negative stuff and you were talking about the story you heard in uh, about the the family in North Korea, uh, when you see stuff like that, like circling back to like this administration and like the, the work that we're doing now and whether it's, you know, more important now or harder or whatever, like when you see something that's so negative, that really makes you upset personally, do you find that it's hard? Like, is that right then like inspiration for you to go, go, go and create more joy to like counteract that? Or does it get you in a slump that you then need to help yourself crawl out of before you can make more art? 
Um, so actually I just had like probably one of my biggest experiences just like that in Idaho when I was there, which wasn't just a second ago now. I can't even, I think it was a couple of months ago, but, um, I was, I was in Idaho and I had gotten to Boise and, um, I had had a situation at home that was, um, pretty close to my family where there was a horrible tragedy and I had just heard about it on my drive. So I was driving with that news for eight hours through absolutely no service zone, just like sitting in my news <laughs> and like couldn't call anyone one radio station. I don't have my old Subaru doesn't have my fancy music equipment. And so I'm drove into the city with that um, hanging over me. And then I got in and I was staying with a random stranger. And um, I found out that in the town, there had just been a tragedy where um, a man probably on drugs or something had uh, gone in to a community it was actually um a refugee community and he went in and there was a three-year-old birthday party going on it was a saturday afternoon there's a bunch of little kids and he took a knife out and started stabbing all the children and he killed killed the birthday girl oh Oh my god God. she just turned three and um and then um they finally caught him and then um so I had found that out and I just, there was like a couple other things going on. There was a couple other tragedies that had happened that connected to stories. I was going to meet with the people, but their kid was already in the hospital in critical condition and was paralyzed now. And like, just, it was, it was so much negativity, but that one story with a three-year-old, I mean, you can figure out people get in accidents and they get paralyzed and it's horrible, but they learn you know, that kid is actually, he's doing really wonderful. I stay in touch with the family and, and he, is doing better than he was before he was paralyzed. It's like one of those weird things where he's learning how to love his life better now, but you can turn things around and you can make them the best you can, but there is nothing to be explained for stabbing a three-year-old at her birthday party. Like there was just no way to turn that. And Mm -hmm. I went into this like really bad depression and I was with a stranger. So I couldn't really be depressed because the woman was like a widow herself. And I was trying to cheer her up the whole time. So like I would go for these walks and I would just, like cry and be depressed and be like, what am I even doing? Like, there's this stuff going on. Like, what is my baloney talk about someone buying a coffee going to do for something like that? And like, how do you even help that family? And I just, I remember I talked to my sister and she um, told me, she's like, listen, Mary, like, you know, something bad just happened right now while we were talking and something else bad just happened and something bad's going to happen in a minute, but something good just happened. And two good things just happened over here and two good things happen over here. And you know, there's, it's, that's why it's so important what you're doing. And I was like, I know, but like, I can't even think like that right now because I know how important it is. And when you see tragedies, it's even more important to focus on it. But I just felt so down. Like I felt like I was so tired and I was working so hard. And what was it for? Because like <laughs> things like that happened. And then I was just so sad. And I was, um, went to a little barbecue that night for people that knew what I was doing. They invited me over. And one of the people at the barbecue, I was kind of talking to her privately and I was telling her like, it's actually been really hard here. Like, I just feel like you guys got hit with a couple bad things and I don't want to be like spreading, like, you know, talking about that when these families are going through it. And, um, and she said, well, you should go down there. You should just go and see it. You know, the whole community rallied together. They made it really beautiful around the community, put flowers up and like, you know, all these nice signs for the girl and all this stuff. And I was like, okay. But I was thinking in the back of my head, I'm going to show up at this like memorial of this community with my mortgage shirt on where they're more like, I just felt like, and what take a pic. Like I didn't know what I could do. And so 
I ended up going by, even though I wasn't going to, all because of this random woman that was like, just drive by. And she met me there, which helped because I think, again, I would have just kept driving. And she met me there and there was another girl there and she had come in from Utah and she's with a bunch of people that heard about what happened and they decided to throw another birthday party for all the kids in the community so that they want, because they weren't leaving their homes. They were just like completely traumatized. And these are little kids and they didn't want to go outside and they didn't want So they had like Build-A-Bear and they had um, like, snacks and treats and a magic show and all this stuff. All these people from Utah came over to do it for the people in Idaho. And I ended up staying and I was there for like four hours and I built bears with the kids and like got to talk to the kids and just like hang out with them. And it was like, I don't know. It was just like, and then it, it gave me that energy again to realize like, yeah, there isn't really necessarily anything you can say, but you can just keep trying to do good stuff to like combat it. Especially and let me tell you too, and this is something we've got to get out of here, but this is something that I want you to think about. You know, I'll be out there, especially back when I was doing political stuff after I met you. And when things got hard, I had a stockpile of saved pages. And one of them was like gratitude project on Facebook. And I would jump over on one, either that or more good dot today and get a recharge an ejection of positivity so I could fight another day. And that's what it's all about to me is being able, okay, put this out there. And then it's kind of like the old activism, each one, teach one type of thing. And then I'll kind of get like, okay, there is good out there. This is why I do this. So I I think I try to stay in that headspace of I'm putting good out there. So hopefully others are being inspired and gaining strength from that. But I also think it's important for me to tell you I gain strength from what you're doing. And I think, you know, I'm sure you hear that all the time. And that's something we all have to keep in our mind, especially when times get tough, I think. That's why I thought it was so important to ask her that, because, you know, the people that are creating large projects like this, that so many people are turning to for that inspiration. Like, we have to consider the fact that, like, these people are usually also very empathetic and, like, can be stricken down even harder or for longer periods. And, like, we have to also be able to boost them up so that they can keep creating this oh, yeah. that us. Oh, yeah. No, I really appreciate that because that's definitely something I um, have been working on. And Basically, you're my like safe place, Mary. <laughs> you're my safe space. You're where I go when, like, the haters are, like, screaming libtard or whatever in my face. All right. We got to get out of here. Um, I know you're on a break. You're going back out in October. Tell everybody when you're leaving, where you're headed, and where we can find you online. But most importantly, how we can help. Um, so I leave on October 29th, which is the exact date two years ago I took off on this trip. And Wow. Did you think when is- you set out originally you'd be doing this for two years? Are you just <laughs> <No>. as surprised <laughs> where you are today? Yeah, I think I thought it was going to be a year, a year and a half. But I think once I started to do it and realized, you know, how much work it was, but also how important it was not to rush something like this. And I'm fortunate to have a job where I have a wedding photography business that I can take it on the road and, and always come back to New York to do some work and get gas money that, you know, I just, I don't, it's not something you can rush. And I want to, um, I, I'm going to just take as much time as I Because the end the game is to put the, all these stories into a book and get them into emergency rooms throughout the country, because that's kind of something you needed when your mom was battling cancer. Yeah. I feel like the hospital waiting room is a pretty dark place, but the dream is to do something where I can, you know, sell the book also. Cause I think we could all use this in our coffee table right now and maybe you know you buy a book and then it donates a book and you can pick what state and what hospital kind of like tom's shoes where you buy a pair and it donates 
Um, gotcha. But the plan is to donate them right now to hospitals and um, just kind of put all the stories together. So, yeah, I think probably another year. And um, you can follow along on morgood.today for the website. And there's ways to donate to the gas tank or submit your story, which is always the biggest help, or just make connections. I'll be in North Dakota um, and then starting down South Dakota um, and Nebraska are the next couple stops. Wow. And one last thing you had mentioned driving nine hours to your next stop. Do you relish those moments when you can kind of be alone and be alone with your own thoughts? Or do you feel isolated when you're nine hours <laughs> on the road? I guess it depends on what just happened before I have to get in the car. Like when I had that bad news, that wasn't a great drive. But for the most part, I really enjoy those moments. It's kind of the only time you're alone. Um, I can imagine. I, yeah. So you kind of get to process. So there can be a couple hours where I don't even turn the radio on and don't realize because you're just processing everything. <laughs> I so get it. It's nice. <laughs> Hi, Mary. Thank you for calling in. And as I've been thinking everybody today, thank you so much for what you do. Never doubt the importance of what you're doing because it gives me strength. And like I always say, if it gives me strength, I'm sure there's a thousand other Nicks out there that you're giving strength to. So thank you so much. Thanks, Mary. Thank you. Yeah, it's just like the bubble parade. Don't ever silly. <laughs> I'm coming to the bubble parade. I'm going to plan it. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to meet up when you're in Maryland. Yeah, I would love that. Well, thank you guys very much for having me so much. All righty. All right, so we got Bobby Love on the line, somebody who creates such beauty. And I know a lot of guys will be like, I'm a tough guy. I'll never say things are beautiful. But this guy creates so much beauty, and it's such a great place to go when I'm filling down and check his stuff out. Let's get fashion designer, creator, and facilitator of happiness, Bobby Love in here. Bobby, how you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me again on your show. Thank you, sir. And I got to tell you, um, we had you on maybe six months ago, and you've had so much going on. You sent me a link to um, a piece Avant Garde Magazine did of you, and I was really happy to see you getting some positive, really good recognition. And the pictures in this are just stunning. They really Thank are. Thank you. Yeah, the, I was very fortunate to be invited to be the uh, cover and uh, feature story for the May and June issue of Avant Garde magazine. And the, 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 the magazine turned out beautifully. I love the cover. And they were so generous. They gave me like an 18-page story. I mean, it, it's unheard of, but it, it's amazing. And there's this amazing picture of you on the red staircase. I don't know how many people are familiar with this at the world-famous MacArthur Hotel. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because this is probably, once again, I'm going to use this word, one of the most beautiful pictures I've seen in a very long time. Yeah, I think that's probably going to be one of my most glamorous fashion pictures I'll ever take. <laughs> <laughs> again, I, I, this has been a wonderful year. I have so many blessings this year. and Everyone just come to me. And, um, and this is another opportunity where uh, there's a fashion uh, designer icon, Sue Wong. She has been in the business for 50 years. And, uh, and LA Fashion Week, we're celebrating her with a lifetime retrospective show. And wow. she came to me and, and wanted to collaborate with me and, and borrow some of my headdresses and jewelry. And, and, and I ended up styling her whole show for, with her. Uh, we had to style like 67 looks. So we did a full show for LA Fashion Week. That was beautiful. Uh, it's funny because I think Sue and I uh, have very a lot in common. You know, she does kind of like goddess. And I do kind of like god and goddess. You know, so our themes are very... Uh, um, complimentary to each other. So the show is now beautifully, and so we had a we had a full show at LA Fashion Week on March, 
and um, and that staircase picture you you're referring to is at the red staircase at the red carpet staircase at MacArthur, and we had 23 models surrounding me, and uh, and it was just beautiful, and the whole experience at LA Fashion Week was just beautiful, and I was very very happy about how everything turned out. Your your designs are so mind-boggling amazing just to look at and that's and that's in 2d that's in a magazine right. i can even imagine seeing this stuff live but what people may or may not know about you is this is something you do as a hobby this is not your full-time gig and you do not sell these outfits you keep them in a collection that you're eventually going to donate to a museum to leave this legacy of happiness and that is the most that is probably i'm hearing a lot of incredible stories today but I got to say, that is cream of the crop of amazing stories that you are just spending a lifetime building this collection of just beautiful garments, beautiful outfits that can only invoke good vibes and happiness when people see it. And at the at the end, you're just going to go, here we go, museum, take all this and give it to the masses to give them a happy place, to quote your website, Happy Place Designs, to give them a happy place. That is so inspiring to me. Thank you. Yeah, that that's kind of like my mission. As you say, I do many things, and, and fashion design and costume design is one of the things I do. Uh, I just happen to do it very well, and it's very well received. Um, and you're right, in, in person, when you see all my collection in person, it's, it's spectacular and it's, it's just, it's very unusual and over the top, and but in a nice and very um, beautiful way. And, and I think that's why people, people react to it because it appeals to the inner child of most adults and, yes. and children and, and teenagers. And, you know, sometimes I feel like, you know, we have so many responsibilities and, and so many things in our life. You know, as adults, we don't get a chance to play very often. And when you see something that, you know, that reacts to your inner child and appeals to your inner child, I think a lot of people uh, are drawn to it because, you know, who, who doesn't want to have a little chance to play a little? You know, so so I think that's why um, my designs are, are very popular. And and you're right. My mission is is to uh, keep my in, uh, all my collection intact. Everything is couture, whenever kind. And uh, my goal is in maybe in ten years. You know, I have a whole collection uh, uh, in mass. You know, and hopefully I will be uh, well known enough that the collective museums will want to show my my collections, mm-hmm. and I'll just donate to one or two West Coast museums and that's a permanent collection. Because as artists, you know, I think we want to. <clears throat> leave a legacy to the future generation to inspire the future generation i think that's no better way than to leave it to a museum or to um, you know that people can go to and can be seen by the masses and and even now i mean i'm getting uh, feedback from fans and friends that you know them and their and their children and their, their friends all sometimes can be inspired by what i do and inspire them to create more detailed and complicated and uh, and interesting costume and pieces, you know. And I'm happy to hear that that my designs inspire people to to create their own, you know, and challenge themselves to create, you know, better costumes and fashion. Well, and here's my takeaway from all this, because you do have a demanding full-time paying job. You do this, like I said, on the side, and you're not making money off it because you're going to donate it one day. And I feel like the energy level it must take to work and balance just going and paying the electric bill in everyday life, keeping the fridge full of food. And then to do this on the side, it's impossible for you to do this without passion. And I see so many people just kind of drudge through their life and they're just like, they just work, sleep, eat, work, sleep, eat. And that's what kind of makes me so sad is when I see people who don't have a passion for something, or they may have a passion for something, let's say it's fixing up cars, 
and they just don't have enough faith in herself they can take it anywhere but the incredible amount of passion you must have that's got to be where you get this energy level right because i imagine you're non-stop you're always working on something right Right. And I think, you know, uh, we talk about the word passion. Passion is a good word because I think passion can uh, um, promote energy in you, too. If it's something that's passionate, then it's not work, really. You're just, you're just doing it because you want to do it, you know. And um, I, I feel that this is my passion, and I happen just, you know, to be very lucky that my, my creations are uh, accepted by people and very popular with people. But, you know, that's where I draw my happiness from. When I create, when I design, uh, and when I see the, the finished product and it's so beautiful, it makes me really happy and it, it brings more energy out of me. So, so you know, it's, I never consider it work. I mean, I consider it just the privilege to build design. You know, I think a lot of artists are, are that way. A lot of artists, when they draw or when they create uh, whatever art they're into, uh, you know, it's not work. It's just they have to do it. There's something within themselves that has to come out, you know. And uh, um, I think, uh, and also I think uh, a lot of artists to me, you know, uh, sometimes you know, it's a little bit more out of the uh, norm and it's more out of the box. And sometimes I think a lot of artists are, uh, you know, are not your usual um, typical um uh, everyday people sometimes it can be a little bit nuts, <laughs> you know. I, I mean, maybe nuts not a right word, but it's just a little bit out of the norm, you know. <laughs> and, eccentric, and think, yes. Like eccentric, or, or even like great, like great artists. I look a lot, a lot of artists I admire, like like Picasso, or like Dali, and all. When you see their art, you know, they are a little bit out of the norm, but but that's what makes them unusual, and that's what makes them amazing. It's and makes them they're, beautiful. They're, yeah, and, and they're one of a kind. You know, and and I think I think that's what appeals to me is like the the, the things that make you unique, the things that make you one of a kind. You know, uh, that's that's what makes you special. Well, I've got a special co-host here today, um, Mary England from Uncustomary. Bobby is very colorful. Mary, you're very colorful. What do you think it is about color? I mean, everybody always says rainbows and unicorns. What do you think it is about color, Mary, that just draws people to the aesthetic of it? I mean. I, it's something that isn't really utilized enough, I think, in in life at this point. Like, I I just I think people just are drawn to it visually. I mean, but when you look at like a cityscape, a mural pops out because most of the other stuff that you're seeing is brick, stone, gray, like you know, just neutral material. And when you see something so brilliant pop out of like the earth it's just something that you can't help but look at um and i think you know it's something that a lot of artists are are drawn to use i mean plenty of artists work in black and white or charcoal or whatever um i know a lot of artists like me also have synesthesia which makes colors a lot more interesting to work with because you're experiencing them with different senses as well um so that could also be playing into it too um, but I don't know. I think it's just something that we're as as far as we've come as a society, we're still not using it enough, and we're just allowing ourselves to live in and work on autopilot and be allowing things to be mundane when we could add spice and color to them. And I don't know. We should do that more. Yeah, and I also think that color, uh, colors evoke emotions in us, different colors, and the mm-hmm. mixing of different colors evoke different emotions, uh, and to me, that's very powerful. 
yeah, there's so much color psychology that goes into things like advertising and banner making and stuff. And like the reason that people select blue for, a, you know, their advertising banner is completely different, like an emotion that they would want to create than, you know, there's like red and yellow makes you hungry. That's why so many fast food restaurant chains have red <laughs> and yellow. So oh, like that's, that's so smart. It's a real thing that creates a, yeah. a stimulus creation uh, reaction in your mind. So he's right. Like so, when he is uh, creating these beautiful fashion creations, it's just something you know. If you're planning the the color psychology around it too, you're going to evoke a very specific feeling. And I looking through the pictures of your work, which again are just in 2d and, you know, avant-garde described them as dreamlike and whimsical. And I was like, that's accurate, but there should be like a crazy better word for this because it's just, I couldn't think, <laughs> of it, but it's just so amazingly beautiful that you just can't, you can't look away for it. Like it takes you so much longer to turn the page. You're just like, I want to live in there. Uh, <laughs> um, but I don't know. I, it, you're just creating like a whole experience really. It's not just a, a piece of clothing at that point. Thank you so much. And you know, what I try to do also is to um, create fantasy. I, I, I call my style fantasy couture because it truly is fantasy couture. It's where sometimes in your mind you imagine certain things, but a lot of people don't really go there and create it. So I actually go there and, and get there and create things that in your fantasy. And I, I think, again, that goes back to the inner child of people. People, inner child appeals to fantasy. You know, if you look at things that, uh, uh, like, you know, Dali creates or Berthe creates, you know, a lot of it is, is fantasy-like. But uh, I love like, Dali, but, by the way, and M.C. Escher. Love those guys. Absolutely. So so that's what I try to accomplish. I try to create fantasy in people's mind uh, and make it a reality, but done in a very uh, beautiful, uh, you know, uh, I also call it, call it like palace couture too. It's like almost like what what uh, in the fairy tales, you know, the 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 prince or the the kings and queens and and or the the, the fantasy realm uh, folks would would be wearing, you know, in, in everything that's fantasy. I think is is fun and and colorful and and uh, and bring joy to people. Yeah. And it gives you, like, I feel like more room to be, like, crazy elaborate, too, you know? Like, yeah. I was looking at the, the Four Seasons series that you did, and I'm super into celebrating each mark of the of the year. And, uh, you know, we just celebrated autumn yesterday on the, in the Northern Hemisphere, and it was, like, just looking at the, the pictures that you had for summer, fall, spring, and winter, I was just like, wow, these are, this is exactly how I feel. I feel like I'm hopping into, like, my own imagination, but, like, through the the lens of like what you're creating with your with your designs it's so interesting i'm so glad you bring up four seasons because alphonse muha the art nouveau artist from the last century he was kind of like the one of the king of art nouveau and his uh, beautiful images used to you know be all over europe uh, you know that he created actually like butt stop posters and huge posters with, glorious uh, figures and just flowing in the air. And I've loved, always loved Alphonse Muha's Art Nouveau. And his most famous uh, creations is probably his Four Seasons. And, and so when I do my Four Seasons, it's a, it's a tribute to Alphonse Muha. And since I model all my own clothes, I, I put myself in the Four Seasons and create this palette, as you see. And this Four Seasons that I created was so popular that I have actually printed it into fabric and make it into coats, pants, accessories, hats. I have my own four-season collection now. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. 
So, let me ask you this, because this is what always fascinates me about creative people. I'm always fascinated in the work, but even more so, I'm always fascinated in the process. When you set out to do a design, is it already complete in your head, and it's all about making the work fit what was already in your head? Or do you just start working, and then that work just takes you to these new places? Um, usually, I start with the theme first. I mean, like, you know, I, I'm well-known for my clothes, but also I'm really well-known now for my elaborate headdresses and hats. Um, so each of the items, like for example, if I'm creating a new headdress, I, I, I try and create uh, themes that speak to me, that's fun to me. Like for example, on the upcoming collection, I'm creating a giant hat with two koi fish with the fins like flowing in the air. I think to me that the koi fish with the big fins are just magical. So that's one thing I'm creating. But do you I'm already creating. have that image in your head before you set out or do you just start working and you just kind of let the art take over? Uh, it it kind of comes out. I mean, I, I know I want to do koi so I start drawing and I also look at images on, on, on online and see what kind of koi fish I like and then slowly it just takes into shape. I think, I think with a lot of artists they may have something in the you know, back of their mind, what they want, and it just comes out. You know, I think with a lot of artists, the art just comes out of you. <laughs> so, so that's how it comes out. And then, so I would do my koi hat, and yeah, and then my clothes, I would have a lot of koi on them, and they come together. And, uh, and for example, another piece that I'm interested in doing is I love peacocks, and I just saw Andrew Lloyd Webber's Love Never Die, the musical, which is beautiful musical, and, and the centerpiece of Love Never Dies. Uh, Christine Daae comes out singing her, her song at the end, Love Never Dies, in the gorgeous peacock dress. And the whole background is like done in the peacock style, and it's one of the most beautiful images I've ever seen. So I'm kind of inspired by that, so I'm going to do a peacock suite, you know. So I'm going to have a hat with two, two giant peacocks and coats with peacock uh, style, but it's in a very dramatic, fantastical way. So I think hopefully I would do Andrew Lloyd Webber justice. <laughs> so is the work always when it's completed is it always what you envision it to be or are there times you have to go back and make alterations and go this is not what i wanted when i started out both um the work comes out usually is much more beautiful than i envision just because, wow you know, really well because uh when i use a lot of different materials and my work is very complicated so when it comes out i'm just usually quite stunned by you know how how it looks when they all put together. So so that's one thing. But two, yes, sometimes when I get a piece of work, uh, it doesn't look complete, and then I have to add on to it and make alterations to make it even more. Uh, my my items are very complicated. Uh, that's one thing you notice, you know, and it's all about the details. So I will try and add as much details as possible to to make it uh, uh, shine. So. So, yeah, both situations happen. So let me ask you what I'm asking everybody today, because we had you on about six months ago, and at the time, things were very heated in the political landscape. Things were very heated online. I feel like the temperature has come down. As you're out there working and spreading this beauty, do you feel like people are more receptive now than six months ago? Because there was kind of this movement of people that if you wanted to promote beauty, they would start screaming words like safe space or snowflake or whatever. Do you feel like that's starting to recede and people are hungry again for love, unity, beauty, things like that, hope? You know, I never feel people are ever get tired of love, beauty, and hope. I think people have always have a hunger and appetite for and yearning for love, beauty, and hope. 
So uh, as, as far as I'm concerned, uh, when people receive my, my, my work and my, my designs, the love is always there. The love never changes. You're right. Sometimes people get distracted a little bit by, by the political landscape and by all the things going on in this world. And there's a lot of uh, you know, bad things happening in this world. But I think because of that, uh, you know, people have more, actually more of a yearning for, for love and beauty and, and some um, you know, place to escape to where they can have some serenity. So that's where I think my design comes in, is that it speaks to people's uh, uh, appetite for love and beauty and, and some sort of serenity and escape. Uh, so I think that that need will always be there. That need would never go away because people people can never have enough love and, and joy in their lives. So are you getting a lot of really positive feedback just from average fans? Are they emailing you and telling you what an effect these beautiful designs have had on them? Because I imagine you've got to get a lot of good feedback because you're putting so much good out there. Yes, yes. I have a lot of feedback from people emailing me, messaging me. And also I, I go to a lot of different uh, uh, costume events and sh- and fashion events and 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 different shows. Uh, so I I'm out there all the time. Uh, as I say, I I model all my own costumes. I'm one of the few designers that do. <laughs> so I'm kind of like the face of Bobby Love Couture. And uh, yes, I, I I I I'm so blessed to have so many so much love in my life. And people always you know. Uh, so so appreciative of, of and thankful for all the designs and and you know it's, it's fun to bring joy to people and see smiles on people's faces and and people say when they look at my designs I always bring a smile to their face and that makes me very happy. And I also want to mention because you talk about modeling your own designs, you also do a lot of work with the Morgans, who are pretty much. I I really hope to meet all you guys one day because the Morgans are like the most incredible people that I follow online. Bonnie and Gary and all those people are just so amazing. Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, Bonnie is like my sister. Uh, we we are inseparable. Uh, I adore her. She adore me. We we love each other so much. And Gary and Susie Morgan, they're they are all my, my, my family and Molly, the sister, other sister. Right. Well. They're all my family and, and I spend a lot of time with them and they inspire me, frankly. They they are one of the people that actually got me initially to start um, getting into uh, uh, art and design and, and they continue to inspire me. And, and they are also very fantastical people. As you know, the Morgans, they are like a circus family, uh, artists, uh, Gary is stuntman, Susie is an artist. Molly's an actress, Bonnie's an actress, and also contortionist, circus, uh, they, uh, and Molly's a ballet dancer. Um, you know, so they're all very much into art, and uh, and so our circle that we um, hang out with is just a lot of artists and actors and performers and and very creative people. And and I love I love being with creative people because I think it brings out the creative in you as well. And and we all just encourage each other and support each other. And I love them to death. Absolutely. And I mean, I just, I sometimes I wonder what the world would be like if everybody could just get into that creative, if they could let the guard down, because I think a lot of it is just ego. If people, and Mary, you can kind of jump in on this too. If people would just let their guard down and go, you know what? I'm not trying to be a tough guy. I'm not trying to tell everybody, like, I'm not trying to put the porcupine needles up and show everybody how I can, like, put this wall up. If we would just embrace beauty, could you imagine? Both of you guys, could you imagine what the world would be like if we were all running like Bobby Love and just trying to put that out there? I mean, I think it would be a much happier place. Yes. I also loved earlier the way that Bobby was talking about the process of creating his work and just how 
the fact that people love it and it's so well, you know, it's so well received is just kind of like an added bonus for him. And I think that in today's world with like Instagram and this like this hunger for likes and stuff, it, it can overwhelm people with even with the with intense passion for something because such they, a good point they feel like you know they're not being heard or if they're not getting x amount of likes on a post of something that they're so intensely passionate about that maybe it's not good enough or maybe it doesn't deserve to be continued and i think that like hearing people like bobby speak about their work where it's like yeah i mean it's great that that people love it and that it that it could eventually go into a museum someday that's amazing but like the process for me of actually creating this work is what is the most important part and you you have this intrinsic passion and that we should be promoting that in people that you know you don't need to necessarily make money you don't need it to be your main source of income you don't need to get a thousand likes on every instagram post that you make if you have a strong desire to create something and, and you know what's really important, I think, uh, as artists and as people, that I think it's really important to be authentic to ourselves. Um, that's why I think as an artist, when I create something, uh, basically, I, I don't really care if people like it or not. I can create something because I like it, and it appeals to me, and it speaks to me. And But what's interesting is that because the fact that I don't care if people like it or not, uh, and I create really out there, over-the-top, uh, unusual stuff, that's one of the reasons why people like it, is because it's so out there, and it's so unusual, and it's so authentic, you know. So so you're right that sometimes, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you, your post gets 10 likes or 100 likes or 1,000 likes. As long as you yourself, as an artist, as a person who put out there, like it, and you believe that it's good, that's the most important thing. Because ultimately, there are people who respond to that authenticity. I think it's that's so that's true. Really you know, important. when people, the people who are the most interesting to follow online are the people that are the most authentic or eccentric or whatever. You know, people that have that specific thing that they're seriously passionate about that they are like allowing to exist in their world and they're allowing themselves to create without the worry of whether or not it's liked or well received. Those are the people that are so wonderful to follow because they really don't care whether or not it's getting likes and they're just creating for the love of it. And I loved what you said earlier about how you're, when you, you know you start out with something and whether or not you have a, a clear vision in your head, uh, how it ends up turning out probably more beautiful in real life because I, I have that experience with like um, like performance art and street art that I do where like the the end result whether that be an interaction that I have with someone on the street or just the overall experience ends up being way better at the end of the day than I ever anticipated it being and that's because I really really had a passion for the project or the meaning behind it and I think that that goes for any kind of creativity that we're that we're making you know it, it can it can turn out way more beautiful than you expected and that's not like a narcissistic thing it's because you you love it so deeply Right, and I think it's very important for the audience to to always take this with them. If that's one takeaway from from my call, I feel is that it's important for you to love your your art and and what you put out there, whatever whatever you put out there, and and it's really less important what other people like it or not. You know, it's just more important that you like it and you know that it's true. You know, and and I think I think a lot of times we place too much uh, emphasis on how many people else other people like our stuff and all. 
you know, and and that 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 is actually not the most important thing. The most important thing is that you yourself love love what you do, and and that brings you joy. That's that's the most. Wow, important thing. and see, I'm learning a lot here because I used to have a gym teacher who instilled in us at a very young age, this, this woman, Miss Wyatt, and she said, you're only in competition with yourself. And I am constantly in competition with myself. Do you find, like, what is your greatest struggle as an artist? And for me, it's that I'm always trying to top myself. Do you feel the same way, or are there other struggles you deal with? Well, I think it's wonderful that you're always trying to challenge yourself and top yourself. Uh, that's, I, I think there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think that's what... what great um, creativity comes in you know you don't always do the same thing so yes you always want to try and create something that's better than what you did before i mean hopefully that's a, a goal that we all strive to do is to do better to make something better um you know but but i think as an artist one of my challenges you know coming up with new themes and you know new inspirations just a writer as well you know i think i think uh, it's, it's important uh to constantly to be looking around the world look for new inspirations uh, uh I, I think i think getting inspiration and getting the right inspiration and getting and, you know doing something with that inspiration that to me is the biggest challenge but also that's the greatest reward when you can find the greatest inspiration new inspiration and and you know do something new and better and and more interesting the next time absolutely all right we need to get you out of here bobby but i want for everybody who's not familiar with your work tell us a little bit about happy place design tell us where to find you online and what you have coming up because you're probably one of the most busy people that i talk to <laughs> no thank you thank you nick uh yeah my studio is happy place design studio uh, my website is uh, my name is bobby love l-o-v-e so my website is bobbylove.fashion and on there you can see uh hundreds and hundreds of images and i've actually made quite a few uh, fashion videos on my website as well that covers both my runway shows and also my creations uh, set to music and different events uh, so, so please check out my, my uh, fashion videos on my website. They're really fun and they're really beautifully done. Um, so uh, upcoming up, uh, I've been invited to feature uh, uh, Metropolitan Fashion Week is in October. So for the closing night gala, I'm one of the designers that have been invited to show, showcase a Egyptian masterpiece costume. Uh, oh, man. With the, with the King Tut exhibit at the Cal Science Center, like now in Los Angeles. So, so uh, I'm very excited to be uh, invited to showcase an uh, 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 Egyptian costume for Metropolitan Week. And uh, I, I'm not going to go into too much detail about it, but uh, I think somehow the God of War is involved. Nice. Very nice. Um, let me end with this, because I know sometimes, and D, you could attest to this, I'm such a perfectionist, I could be difficult to work with. When you're yes. involved in things like this, which I'm sure is multifaceted, do you think you're a pretty easy person to work with, or are you so laser-focused that people might think that you're either barking orders or being curt, or are you, do you kind of flow, and are you pretty flexible with everything I try in a work to. environment? Oh, you know, you know, you know. When I create, uh, when I do right. my creation, or when I do my, uh, well, everything I try to do, I, you know, I try to be a people person, and and uh, it, uh, it's funny because uh, I actually I I study psychology when I was in 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 college university. Actually, I I got a master's degree in counseling psychology. So so my my background when I first started, I was I was 
uh, counseling people. So, so I try to be a people person if I can and, and, and uh, be attuned to people's needs. I think it's important when you collaborate with people to be understand and listen to other people's needs and opinions and then so you can do the best collaboration possible. You know, so so uh, yeah, that, that, from that uh, standpoint, I, I try to be a people person. But then at the same time, I think to do good work and, and outstanding work, you have to be somewhat a perfectionist too. You have to, you have to try and demand the best of yourself and others. So I try and encourage everybody to, again, up our game. You know, how can we up our game to do better? Uh, so it's, it's a compromise, a combination between working with people and be in tune with people and yet setting up the, our goals and expectations to, to the highest standard so that we can top ourselves every single time. Amazing. Uh, Mary, do you want to add anything before we get Bobby out of here? I, I want to go to Metropolitan Fashion Week. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, this come the closing night gala is on October sixth and it's at down Los Angeles downtown city hall. So there will be gonna be several designers there and then there will be a segment on the Egyptian couture masterpieces and I'll be in that segment in Egyptian couture. So I hope uh, anyone can come and join us at Metropolitan Fashion Week, October sixth in downtown city hall. Amazing. Um, Bobby, I want to thank you so much again for calling in to being generous enough to share your time with us. But more importantly, Thank you for what you do. You are putting nothing but positive and good into this world, which for me is what it's all about. Thank you so much, and Mary and, and Dee and, and Nick for having me. And it's such a pleasure speaking to you all. It's so nice to talk to people who, who actually enjoy and, and appreciate everything that we do. And also, you know, trying in this world to spread love and joy. I think that's so important. I adore you all. Could not agree more. And right back at you, Bobby. Thank you so much. Thank you. Alrighty, we are back. We have a guy on the line whose art is really compelling to me. I am a comic book nerd. I grew up reading, I'm still to this day read comic books. One of the things that he had posted the other day was a portrait he done. He had done of um, Thundar the Barbarian, which I was floored because I had put a post up about a year ago saying, hey, if they ever revamp a cartoon, I hope they do Thundar. And nobody knows who Thundar is. And I thought it was really cool that... He is actually into Thundar, like I'm into Thundar. So let's get artist Shad Nowicki in here. Shad, how you hey, doing? I'm doing great today. How are you guys doing? I am doing awesome. Um, just to give some context here, because most of the guests we've had on today are people we've had on in the past, and sure. we've not had you on the show yet. I met you through William Sanderson's page. I admin William's page for him, and you had sent me a portrait that you had done of William, and yep. you asked me to post it on the page. I posted on the page. It was incredibly well-received. And actually, you have just mailed that portrait to William. And I put a picture up today that William got the portrait yesterday. He took a picture of it. And it's just funny how these things kind of go full circle when you're putting out all this positive vibes, as much darkness as in the world today. It's just funny how these connections are made. Oh, totally. Totally. And, you know, I just want to start off and, and just thank, thank you for the, that connection and, and thank William for the kind words and posting and the photos and stuff like that. You know, um, I do a lot of work for a lot of celebrities, but this was a, this was a thank you. This was just me saying, Hey, you know, I'm a huge fan and, uh, I love the role of EB and you as an actor. And, uh, it, it was funny how, how it just happened this morning after something that, you know, I did last month. So, yeah. Great timing. And, um... Great timing on that one. <laughs> And that's what I'm talking about, kind of like this cosmic connection, because Sharon, um, they're very busy right now. We're, they're getting ready to go out and film 
the Deadwood movie, and she's like, hey, I've just got a minute. Let me get back with you. Here's a picture. We got um, Shad's portrait yesterday. Here's a picture we took. These words are from William. Post them on the page. And I was like, oh, this is perfect timing. I'm actually having Shad on the podcast today, so we'll post this today. And when things like that happen, you kind of have to wonder, what is the cosmic order of the universe where all these I, things sometimes fall in place? Like you wonder. I'm the guy that, I'm just a fan <laughs> that, that painted this thing. You know, and, and this happens to me a lot, and especially now that I do a lot of Comic-Con shows, is that I'm a fan, and I paint this stuff. And then, it, you know, I painted it and posted it, and the guy got back to me that night. And I was just, you know, it, this happens to me sometimes when I do these uh, uh, these paintings. And, you know, I just sit in my studio, and I create this painting and I put it out there for the social media world to take a look at. And, uh, it's awesome who gets back to me. You know, I've been doing this so, for so many years. I was doing this before social media when I had to lick stamps to let people know. And, uh, you know, this is, this is great. You like know, I when I it. used so, to yeah. staple flyers on telephone poles when my band was playing, when I was in my punk band, I, my punk days. Me too, man. I did the same stuff. Yeah, exactly. But you know, I'd run out bars and uh, have art shows in my buddy's bars. Uh, just so I know that by 2 a.m. my sales would be awesome, you know. As great <laughs> as it is to be established, though, and already know, I've got these places I can go. I've got these people that I know. And I can just do these things kind of just by putting the fillers out there and doing it. We're like, at least for me, I'm almost reminiscent of the days that I had to struggle, that I had to staple those flyers on the telephone poles. Do you kind of feel the same way? Well, you know, yes and no. You know, uh, I think I think what happens nowadays, and I'm not going to get into all this, this stuff that's going on in the world, but I think that people lose touch with just people nowadays, you know, and, so and interacting on a daily basis and just seeing somebody in the street. Uh, how many times now do you walk down the street and you see that person with their face buried in their phone? They don't want to look up and say hi anymore, you know? So that's part of it. Uh, but the other part of it is, you know, I wouldn't be who I am without social media in some aspect, you know, um, to get the name out there. Art's a tough business. And, uh, you know, I'm really lucky and really fortunate and humbled that, that people like it. And uh, so it's cool to have that to have that connection with people or else I wouldn't meet guys like you, you know, and then William Sanderson and this whole circle that we're talking about. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I started off as a nobody and I kind of built you know, everything that I'm doing out of a bedroom up here on Meth Mountain in Tennessee, just through <laughs> social media. And I could not have done that. And that's why I always tell people when I go back home, I go back east to Virginia Beach or the DC area where I'm from. And people are like, oh my God, you did this, this, and this. And I'm like, I only exist because podcasting exists, because social media exists. So yes, I had to put some grit in and I had to put some work in, but that platform was already created. So I'm very sure. cognitive of how the world works and how social media and these platforms work. So there's never a day that goes by where I'm not appreciative of that. I think it's really oh, totally. cool that in this day and age, we can have so many different kinds of ways that we make money or jobs that couldn't exist 20 years ago because of the internet. Like, I mean, I, I'm there too. I couldn't have my job if the internet and social media didn't exist. But I think it's also great when we are appreciative of that, but we like go back and still use the analog way of things and appreciate that aspect of stuff too. Like we yes. go out and like, I mean, I still put up flyers, but like guerrilla art style, you know, like I'll put up a, um, 
like terrible puns and like you know it's like each one that you pull off a flyer instead of it being like a phone number it's a pun so it's literally a terrible pun um you know just like silly things (laughs) interact with people on the side of the road uh or you know if you're not having that direct interaction with somebody it it is a it's still knowing that somebody went out there and did something with the intent of creating a smile or art uh beforehand yeah yeah totally So let's start with this. I want to talk about your art because there's a couple things that separate you from the pack. And it's the reason I had you on. I didn't just have you on because I met you on William's page. I thoroughly (laughs) went through and looked at your stuff and made a connection. Like I said, I'm a comic book nerd. Your stuff resonated with me. A couple things you do is you are a method artist, which I'd never heard that term before. You totally immerse yourself when you're doing a portrait. If you're doing Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters is playing. If you're doing Wolverine, X-Men movies or cartoons are playing and another thing is is you paint almost exclusively in the dark like one dim light bulb like you're about to be waterboard or something in a room <laughs> so you can immerse yourself into this and i just find oh, it's that, right uh, along with everything is authentic it's a one of a kind you're not mass producing any of this i mean what exactly. you do is so incredible to me are you doing this purposely like hey i want to be separate from the pack so I'm going to do things in this way, or this is this just Shadow Wiki? Is this just who you are, and this is just your? You voice? know, you just you just put it in a blender. It's it's an amalgam of all these years of of being an artist, all these years of of putting all these different experiments together and trying and failing and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, that's it's me. You know, um, you know, I get interviewed a lot, and 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 I always tell people. I don't know what else I would do if I couldn't paint when I got up in the morning, you know, there's nothing else that I want to do. Years ago, I wanted to get into special effects and makeup and stuff. I thought that was cool, but really it boils down to this is, this is who I am. And all those little things you see, that's just the way I do it. And um, there's no, I'm trying to be different. I mean, in all honesty, I don't really follow a lot of artists and art. Um, I just kind of do my own thing, you know, and I found a, I've experimented with different styles over the years and, and stuff has succeeded and stuff has failed. And uh, so now I just kind of found what I like to do. And I went back to really doing what I love. And that's, you know, this pop culture stuff, uh, movies, TV, cartoons. Are you from the comic book up. world? Did you collect comics as a kid? Or is that something oh, absolutely. you radar after art? Oh, no. I mean, I was my, my first forte to art and how I, how I ever picked up a pencil was a 1977, I think, uh, Power Records uh, Batman, uh, Neil Adams Batman, um, 33 nice. record. And, you know you know what I'm talking about, Power Records? Uh, so I know. I, I remember the little records. Like, I used to have one for Man-Thing, and I had one that Joker's Wild for um, Batman, yeah, the little yeah. 45s you put on your record player and read along with the story. Exactly, right? So, so that was, I didn't know Batman. I didn't know Superman. I didn't know any of that stuff. What I did know was, I like the pictures in this book and I want to draw like this, take this picture. I didn't know who Neil Adams was. I didn't know who any of these guys were, but that was my first sampling of art was reading that book at, you know, I think it was four or five and saying, wow, I want to draw this stuff. And I remember, you know, I remember the, how much that had an influence on me. And then my styles changed throughout the years, like every artist has, but I'm doing now what I, what I love to do. And that's all the stuff I'm passionate about, you know? And uh, it's pretty lucky to be able to do that and to succeed in the art world. You know, that's the other thing. So, 
Well, another cosmic thing that happened, too, was about four days ago. Actually, it was on the 20th, so it was three days ago. What comes across my memories, because every day a thing comes up from Facebook, here's your memories from this day last year or whatever. And I click on it, and it was like, if you could bring back any cartoon, what would it be? (laughs) Mine would be Thundar the Barbarian. And then seeing maybe a week before that, you posting a Thundar the Barbarian portrait. I even wrote you on Facebook. I was like, wait, you know who Thundar is? When I posted that, nobody knew who Thundar is. Well, I'm a huge Thundar. I know all the trivia. I know all the stuff. I know the whole... Ookla the Mock? I just love saying Ookla the Mock. Well, you know where the the word Ookla comes from if you're a diehard fan, right? Oh, I knew it all the time. Yeah, it was an acronym for UCLA. And then right, the, right. The, 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 yeah, okay. And there's a lot of stuff. And, and, you know, my the reason I love Thunder so much is because that was a cartoon we saw as a kid that looked like it was not made for kids. Like, the opening scenes, I mean, just the, the opening movie really is amazing. And it's and it's not made for kids. And, the, and there's not, I think, out of the whole series, there may be outside with the sun on in, like, three episodes. You're right. It's literally dark, you know. Um, and, and it's cool because it's kind of based off old Jack Kirby commandy comics and these apocalypse with these guys. And, you know, it's got this really cool feel to it. And it's based, it's based in the real world, you know, which is kind of neat for, for all that kind of sorcery and magic and stuff. So that's why I love it. I mean, it's, uh, if they brought it back, I don't think it'd be the same, you know, but I would still like to see a different and newer version of Ookla, just like everybody else riding that big, you know, salamander <laughs> horse or whatever that thing was. Yeah, I mean, we're having uh, Wesley Yuri from Land of the Lost, the original Land of the Lost, Cross Superstars on the next episode. And these are the things that kind of hardwired me. They're encoded on my DNA, right? Like the parallel worlds, the alternate realities, the future that went awry. And this is pre-Hunger Games or any of these dystopian future movies that come out now. When you look at Thundar, I mean, besides Planet of the Apes, that was like the earliest seed planted in my head. Like, what if everything goes wrong? What's the world going to look like post-apocalypse? Yeah, yeah. Mine was uh, my first inception of the post-apocalypse. I think it was Omega Man with Charlton Heston, and I always wanted to be the last person on Earth. And like, man, I could go to every toy store in the world, and I could ride motorcycles and do all this stuff. It was one of my things I used to think about when I was a kid. Right, right but then you end up talking to a volleyball because you go insane being so isolated. <laughs> exactly right. But uh, Omega Man was kind of the you know the first apocalyptic movie I saw, and I'm like, oh man, the only people left over are zombies, and they're all like got baby powder on them and they look awful. So yeah, so Thunder was definitely a, a way, way more excellent cartoon to, to, to grab onto as a kid, definitely. Yeah, I and I don't uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I love this so much because like I I do not know like I when I was a kid I actually collected Batman comics, which was a little strange for a girl in the nineties, but like I I definitely don't know who Thundar is. Like I I don't know that, but I I just made this post I was talking on Instagram yesterday about how, like, throughout my life I've been told that I'm, like, too excitable or too enthusiastic about things, which I don't really understand why that needs to be a label that we give people. But, like, I'm really enjoying listening to you guys be, like, so excited about these characters that I genuinely don't know anything about and just, like, hearing <laughs> just the pure joy and excitement about these things that, like, I, I like, couldn't, didn't exist to me 30 seconds ago. And I, like, 
I, the post that I made was, uh, like, allow yourself to be excited about very unique things in life, because I think that, like, we sometimes dial back our excitement or, or cha- channel ourselves and train ourselves to not have this like innate jumping up and down joy about little things as adults because we are like jaded or trudged down or whatever. And, you know, with like comic book characters and Comic-Con and stuff, you know, this is a very niche thing that a lot of people can just like offhand label as nerdy and I'm not saying that in a derogatory way I mean some people might I guess but like you know it's something that is a a niche market you know I have a lot of friends that are really obsessed with comics I've been to San Diego Comic-Con and it was like such an immersive experience of people that really don't care uh like what you think too which is really amazing they're just like I love this thing so much I don't care if you if you do either but I just I'm just really enjoying how the the general enthusiasm of everything awesome well if you're that enthusiastic about this 20 minutes i can do this for days just check out my instagram <laughs> page and if, and if you see a painting you don't know just hit me up i'll talk to you i'll talk to you off on, on it that's i mean you know it's i always make the joke at comic-con that i'm really hot with the dads the dads <laughs> like to come by and the kids are like walking by doing the beeline and the dad gets, you know, pulls the back of his shirt and goes, hits the brakes. Goes, no, 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 no. Let me take a look. This is stuff I like, right? Yeah. No 10 year old cares about what about Bob, but I, I see yeah. one of your, what about Bob portraits? I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. So, and what happens is, yeah. And what happens is it opens up this dialogue, which is really cool because the kid yells out he man when he sees the Thunder portrait. Right. <laughs> and the dad goes, no, it's Thunder, and they start this dialogue about what the differences are, and all this, and it's great, you know. And I, I love seeing that. I love seeing the interaction with people, and 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 just the education, and and the people that that remember the stuff, you know, uh, and the nostalgia factor and the smiles. That's that's why I do it, you know. It makes people happy. So, and that's what this episode's all about. And another thing that you do, and I don't know if it's on people's radar who are just now hearing about you is when you do the background for these pictures, if you do Spider-Man, the, the back canvas is actually old Spider-Man comic books, and then the portrait yep. is laid on top of that. Where does that come from? You know, that is that that comes from a love of old comics, and but old movie magazines. Like, I am a big, I collect, I think I have the first 150 star logs in a case, uh, fantastic films, um, you know, uh, um, uh, Monsters in Movie Land, all that kind of stuff. I used to collect all those magazines as a kid, and now I got piles of them. And I started kind of seeing some paintings a few years ago. Um, so I would do Batman, and I'd put some Batman comics in the background. Uh, and then I just started going nuts with it. And so it's not in every single piece that I do, uh, but it's in certain pieces that I want to see. And it depends on the genre as well, too. So I just did a bionic uh, Bigfoot, Andre the Giant from the 70s. So the background of that thing is all 70s. It's got Van Eds, it's got the Hardy Boys, there's kiss cards glued to it. I mean, you know, it's totally immersive and it's got some textured stuff. But it really depends on the piece, you know. Um, yeah, so I, I well, love it. Well, when you get commissioned, stuff. you do it as well, yeah. right? Didn't you just do a piece for Christopher McDonald, right? Yeah, so like when I do the celebrity portraits, like he, that's what I call like a career portrait. So what I did was I got on IMDb and I got every single movie poster and had to download it and print it out and cut it out that he's ever been in, right? So I think there was, uh, like 120 or something like that I put into that one. Um, and then I have to sit him into the background and then I'll put his portrait over the top. So it's basically his entire career in the background. 
And uh, I did uh, one for him. And uh, the other guy that I did that I really liked was uh, Steve Gutenberg, who was a great guy to work with. Nice, and, nice. Uh, and and did his career in the background. And it was great because I loved all those movies. And I love all the Christmas as well, too. So, yeah, it's fun. You know, but then certain uh, actors I meet, you know, um, like Lou Ferrigno, I do some work with him. And uh, he wants the Hulk, you know. he's He, he loves the Hulk. So um, when you go to Cannes now, you can peruse his table and on the end is my print and uh, it's pretty cool you know so if you get commissioned for something like when i do we do a music show when i do musical osmosis and one of the things i love being a 47 year old man who's kind of stuck in his ways is i'll go through youtube and i'll find new bands that i've never heard of something i probably wouldn't do if i wasn't researching for the show and i get turned on to these new bands when you get commissioned for a piece and it's something that you may not particularly be a fanboy of. Is it harder yep. to do that piece because there's nothing to draw from? Or are you excited yep. because it just opened up a new world to you? Well, you know, it's 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 probably a little harder just because it's an unfamiliar thing, you know. Um, but do I get excited? Absolutely. Um, case in point, I just did a, a portrait talking about music of uh, Gordon from uh, The Tragically Hip. So I had a guy who wanted a, a portrait. He didn't want, you know... Uh, cartoony version of it, he wanted an actual portrait of it. So, I mean, I was familiar with the band. I've seen them live and stuff, but I wasn't a huge fan. Um, so I put some tunes on and I worked on this portrait. But the fun part was the guy was wearing a Jaws uh, movie poster T-shirt. So not only did I get to paint uh, Gordon from the Tragic Hips, but I had to do this really awesome version of the movie poster on his T-shirt. And I got it down to, you know, my detail work. So I got it down to the wire on that one. And it was fun to do. It was challenging. But at the end, I was like, oh, it's awesome. I get to do two things I've never painted before. You know, I get to paint Jaws and this guy. So, yeah, every, every commission is a little different, you know. So in the case of doing, say, William Sanderson, which you were not commissioned for, it's something you yep. just did for the love of it. How did that come about? Because that's well, actually, you know, like we said, how I met you was through doing that portrait. I'm, I've said it a million times and people know my, I mean, I love all this eighties and retro stuff, but my favorite modern TV show is Deadwood. Um, and I mean, as I said, I'm a huge fan of William Sanderson. The show I've, you know, it's, it, I put it, I paint and I put it in my house what I love. So if I'm into Deadwood, you know, I was into Deadwood a few years ago. The first portrait I think I did about eight years ago was, uh, Al Swearingen. Um, and then now, you know, fast forward, they announced the, uh, um, uh, the new movie that's coming out. And I said, you know, I really want to paint EB. I want to paint my favorite character from, from the show. And that's pretty much how I did it. You know, I paint what I love at the end of the day and hopefully people like it and they seem to. So that's how that painting came about. I just did it. And, and at the end of the day, you know, we talked and I said, I really want him to have it. I, I can't think of anybody else who I would want to, I wouldn't want to sell it to somebody who's a fan. Um, so I said, you know, I'm just going to gift it. And, uh, so he was nice enough to accept. And, uh, so that's how that whole thing worked out. But, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate, very lucky to, uh, to have those doors open. You know, I do appreciate that. Well, you do a lot of Comic-Con too. And, and speaking of like selling it or sending it over to William, what do you have in your personal stash that you would never sell? Are there portraits <laughs> you have hanging on your walls where you're like, no way wouldn't sell it for a million bucks? Nope. I, I <laughs> I'm an artist, man. There's nothing hidden in my life. Everything is on the wall. You know, um, there's some pieces that I, I hold on to for a little while, but eventually they, they go out to the street, you know, and people see them, cons and stuff. Uh, but it all depends on the painting, you know. Certain paintings I, I like, um, and I hold on to them, um, but not many. You know, most of the stuff 
I really do it because I like people to see it, you know, and I love going to the convention and putting up my gallery and, you know, I usually bring about 100 paintings. But you can only do that a couple times a year, though, right? Because you're just working so damn much. Yeah, that's the unfortunate thing with not selling prints. And uh, just so your uh, listeners are uh, know that most of my work is all the original paintings. So right. know, Comic-Con is the, is the home of the $20 print, and there's a business for that, and I would never knock anybody that does that. But I do it differently, and I sell you the original. So it's one, it's done, it's unique. Um, you know, I have 90 paintings in one print versus some guys that have 90 prints in maybe one painting. In the oh, my so, God. So how much so, yeah. of this is for you <laughs> as a comic book lover, as a pop culture lover, and how much of this is, because we're talking a lot today about people who are putting good out in the world, do you see yourself as an advocate of good because you have so much colorful, just paintings from our childhood? Like you said, the dad comes over, it's like, oh, it's Thundor, it's the Gremlins, it's Gizmo, yeah. I can't believe Tank Girl, I can't believe it. How much of that is in it, or how much of it is the element, I'm painting for me because this is what I love? Well, I think, number one, I'm painting for me and because this is what I love. You know, it really comes down to that. When I sit down, you know, uh, uh, case in point, I'm sitting down today thinking, okay, I just did Creature from the Black Lagoon. I'm getting into my Halloween spirit. I'm going to do a big Godzilla. I love Godzilla movies. I haven't done a big oversized Godzilla painting yet. So it, that's, how, that's how it evolves. Now, if I get an email in the middle that says, hey, you got to do this painting and somebody wants something, sure, I'll work on that. Really, I do it because I, I love to do it, and I'm passionate about every subject that I paint. You know, I paint what I love to paint. And I'm fortunate in that regard. You know, when you when you go to my gallery, another thing is that you see me at a convention, uh, myself and the guys that are helping me out, we're we're getting you. I mean, we're grabbing you, we're bringing you in, we're showing you the backgrounds. We got black lights going, um, which is a lot of uh, my artwork too. Is a lot of black light reflective stuff and black light sensitive work, so it looks like the back of Spencer's. You know, at night when you when right, you right, up, but. But, you know, it's very interactive. Um, we're very passionate. I'm extremely passionate about my work. And, and I try to really get people ready in there and take a, take a different look at art, you know, um, from the normal comic book stuff that you see at a convention. I actually look at some actual art on the wall. Uh, not that the other stuff's not, but, you know, canvas rather than paper is a little different. So um, it's neat. It's neat setting up an art gallery uh, inside all these different conventions and interacting with people. You know, that's the fun thing, is seeing the smiles and all the people pointing and, and I love it, you know. So uh, if it makes people happy, that's just, that makes my day, you know. Um, I try to put it out there as a, as a positive thing, you know. All my stuff's kind of kid-friendly and fun when you when we do these shows. But, uh, yeah, you got to be positive. There's too much negative out there. So if my colors are bright, believe me, I'm trying to make them brighter. And that's a great point, too. Mary, we just had Bobby Love on here, and we talked about color and how the eye is drawn to it. And I think all of us want to live in a more colorful world. I mean, I think there is a human craving for that right now at 47 years old I've never seen in my lifetime until the last couple years. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. just becoming more and more of a a craving. Yeah, I I saw something uh, online, and it was like, uh, like a three panel uh, meme kind of thing. And the first part was like, just like cavemen kind of situation. And then the middle, <coughs> excuse me, was like a New York kind of city skyline. And then the third one was a super colorful. It just looked like just heaps of mountain, like colorful explosion and like whimsical, just 
overload and it just said like the world is changing maybe not at the rate that you want it to but it, it is changing and I, I just like this idea that we're just slowly evolving into this explosion of color that everyone maybe has been wanting all along and now we're just seeing more people create it yeah we yeah. have a platform um, for it too now right <laughs> like everybody i mean it's good and bad right it's a double-edged sword because you could go on youtube as an independent let's say musician and put your stuff up there but there, there's also a thousand people who put their stuff up there that's not very good it's haphazardly thrown together and then somehow you have to scour through all that to find like these little gold nuggets it's almost like you're like one of those old gold miners you have to scour sure. through all of it but you also have access that you never had before right yeah it's definitely double-edged but you know uh, that's with music music unfortunately you have to sit there and listen to it you know uh art is much faster you just look and you perceive much quicker you know that's why these sites you see these people just scrolling past stuff you know but with music, I totally understand. I used to play music, and yeah, that's a that's a whole new thing. You know, that's you have to sit down and, and hunt the stuff. You know, yeah, and that takes dedication, kind of. But it's the same as when we used to go to Tower Records and look at like the indie section and try to find albums that yep. none of our friends yep. had. Just like, hey, guess what I have? You've never heard of this band, have you? And, um, you know, it's kind of like a rite of passage. All right, we've got to get out of here. Before we go, I was curious, you get commissioned to do a lot of work. Do you ever get commissioned for stuff you have to turn down? Or will you take on anybody because you could find the art in anything? Well, yes and no. I mean, there's stuff is you know, something's like obligatory, just awful or racist or whatever. Yeah, I'm not doing that, you know. Uh, find somebody else to do that. But, but you've yeah, never I'm, got I'm, a coach with something like that, have you? Oh, totally. Yeah. You have? Really? Oh, yeah. You just, you just shut it down. You just, I didn't you think Nazis nice were into art. Well, you know, it's just sometimes people think, you know, people down south think a little differently, and, and that's just what it what it came to. But, uh, you know, you're polite, and, uh, you know, I'm open to doing a ton of stuff, you know. And, I and I and you know, my commissions, I tell people, I said, listen, I'm driving the bus. You tell me where to go. And my commission, I work with uh, people it's not you hire me and you don't see me for six months. Uh, I usually have your painting done in about a week or two, and I work with you the awesome. entire process. So so that's super fun. Amazing. All right. I cannot thank you enough for calling in today. Please tell everybody what you got coming up, um, if you have any cons coming up, and where we can find all things Shad and the Wiki online. <laughs> well, right now, uh, no conventions coming up because this is kind of my Halloween season. So I'm in the studio painting. Uh, right now, um, and it's going to start snowing here in New York. So that's usually my, uh, my painting season. So I'll announce my conventions uh, as soon as I hear from them. You can, you can find all my artwork at, uh, .biz is my website or follow along on Instagram at Shad Paints or, uh, on Facebook at Shad Nwithy or Shad Nwithy Artist. Um, and come along and, uh, paint live at night and stuff and tune in, have some fun, talk cartoons, talk movies, talk vintage. Super fun. All right. You know, let me ask you this last thing going out the door. Are you like me where if I'm on the road, I can't wait to get home and get back on podcasting. But when I'm podcasting, I can't wait to get back on the road. When you're in a studio, is it like, I can't wait to get to the next con. And then you're at the con and you're like, I can't wait to get back in the studio. Or is there one thing that you're more passionate about over the other? I'm a, I'm a painter, but I, I look at these conventions like many Christmases, right? And I, cause I only do a few a year. I love bringing the new artwork out and showing it because you, you know, Instagram and Facebook, it's only 2D, and you don't really see the whole image. Yes, yes. A painting with your own eyes, it, it transforms, and it looks much nicer. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I'm really passionate about doing the conventions, and I and I love being there, and I, and I'm, I love talking to every single fan, and I'm usually the first guy there, 
<laughs> one of the last guys at night. Um, but when I paint, that's that's me, man. That's when I shine, and that's really you know my passion in life is to make some really rad art and and cool vintage stuff that people enjoy and smile, and uh, hopefully makes the walls look cool and uh, gives them a. Well, I have to say, you're doing something no one else is doing, at least nobody on my radar. So a lot of props <laughs> to you, my friend. I appreciate that, and I appreciate the kind words and, uh, and uh, having you on the show today. That was awesome. Thank you. All righty, Chad. Thank you very much. All right, guys. We are going to get out of here. Sunshine.